Ladies and gentlemen, let me officially tell you that I am thankful for you listening to this because this episode, you're going to get a lot out of it. I got a lot out of being a part of it, and I'm incredibly excited for you to also be a part of it. So if you got me in your ears, keep me in your ears. You are going to thoroughly enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. You might hear a little dog, big dog, more like a black bear, breathing for the first part of the episode, but I promise it goes away. All right, without further ado, let me officially welcome you to episode five of the Marvel Monologues. Here in Charlotte, I've got two guests with me. Um, they're brothers, and the third guest, you can probably hear him breathing. He's a big, big dog named Enzo. Um, I don't really know how to describe him. I would say he's a big fluff ball. Um, usually I have a little smoky with me, but not tonight. So I just got back from rock climbing for an hour. I didn't really try too hard, but, you know, I got a good workout in. All right, let's get to my guests. So I've got two brothers, Jack and Cole Lee Snitzer. They live up here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm very excited for you to get a chance to meet them. Um, and let me just give you a quick rundown of how I know these guys. I, I, well, we'll just leave it at that. I'll let them introduce themselves. So first, we've got Cole Lee Snitzer. Hey. All right, introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Kind of lean in on here and tell us who you are, what you're all about, and a brief version because we gotta we gotta introduce your brother too what do you want to know about me everything well i'm cole i'm 24 years old what from hillsborough north carolina nice coming in at five foot eight inches okay um ladies working here in charlotte <laughs> at electrolux uh working in procurement right now and i've been doing that for about three years um I guess if you want to hear more about us, hobbies, we do uh, rock climbing, running, reading, that that sort of thing. All right. Um, there we go. So we've got a brief synopsis on Cole. Did I use that word right? Synopsis? Yeah. I think that's right. I like overview. it. Overview? Um, yeah, brief overview. So Cole is a good buddy of mine. Uh, we, we do rock climbing and stuff like that. Uh, he gave you a very brief introduction of himself, but the company Electrolux... That's a cool name. Say that five times fast. Electrolux. I'm only going to say it once. And on my right, here we've got a younger brother, Jack Liesnitzer. Sorry, I had to throw the younger in there. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, Jack Liesnitzer. Yeah, I'm Jack Liesnitzer, as Austin just said. (laughs) Yep, I did. I'm uh, 22, two years younger than Cole, who just introduced himself. Uh, We've got a younger brother, too, but he's not in the midst today. Couldn't make it. Um, I'm a bit of a cross-disciplinary engineer, somewhere between electrical and civil. I work for HDR. Um, and I do some designs on power line systems, so transmitting power from generation facilities over to a substation to be distributed to homes or businesses. Uh, in my free time, I like to play some guitar, play a lot of basketball, soccer, Spent a lot of time with friends and just kind of kicking it in Charlotte these days. Yeah, good, good stuff. All right, I actually, that was my first time hearing these guys' age. Usually I've got a 25 and older type of thing. So (laughs) you guys slid back through there. It's all right, though. Uh, But you wouldn't guess these guys' age um, hanging out with them. They've got 
plenty of life experience um, to, to kind of, uh, how would you say, counteract, balance, balance. the age on, the, the life on earth. <laughs> okay, so um, let's get into it. Here in, in Charlotte, it's it's pretty nice today, but it's supposed to be snowing on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You guys going to be around for that? You got plans? Should be here. Yeah? Yeah, so, I'll be maybe here. go sk- snowboarding. Oh, man, I'd love to, but got a little one on the way. Can't be, uh, can't be taking risks like that. Any day mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I'll give you a quick update. Ashley and I, we went to a doctor yesterday, and the doctor said... I'm not going to tell you that the baby is going to be early or late, but if I had to put my money on, you know, before or after the due date, I'd probably say before. And she leaned down to Ashley's belly and said, stay in there for 39 weeks, buddy. And that's three weeks away. And 39 weeks is a week premature. But luckily the baby's in good health, knock on wood. Um, So little boy, maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, will have entered the world and uh, joined humanity. I've came up with a couple names. Ashley's came up with a couple names. Um, I really like the name Leonidas and like Magnus and like ridiculous names. Yeah, they're just ridiculous names. Ashley doesn't. She doesn't really approve of those. So. <laughs> very Greek. Yeah, very. You know, Apollo and I mean, I've I've got a whole list of just ridiculous names. So, it'll probably be one that's not so ridiculous. But we've got one that we've really been. Uh, Honestly, since like the day that we made him, been like, oh, if we ever have a baby boy, that's what we're going to call him. So realistically, it'll probably be that. I don't want to say it and spoil it, but if you listen to episode four, I'm pretty sure it's in there somewhere. <laughs> Missed that one. Yeah. All right. So, um, Jack, tell me a little bit about what you were talking about. You design power lines, what? like those big metal... How, how, yeah, how do I describe that? There's a there's a handful of different ways you can build them. Okay. They could be towers. Right. They could be poles. And they could be made of a few different things, like steel, concrete, wood. Mm-hmm. And basically, you get, it's called a greenfield project or a brownfield project. Okay. In a greenfield project, you have nothing at all there, and you're ready to start from scratch. All right. In a brownfield project, you're starting from something that's already existing. Like an established foundation? Yes, or uh, an existing line that needs some updates to it. Okay. So a lot of what I do is working on brownfield projects. Okay. And so usually a utility will come to us, like Duke Energy. Right. And they'll say, hey, we have this line. We want you to check it out and see if there's anything that needs to be updated on it. Is there anything that's not following code? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, we need an expansion because more people need power now than they did when we first built it. That makes sense. So they'll come to my company that I work for, HDR, and they'll say, hey, we're thinking about putting this contract out. You're one of the companies we'd like to consider for this contract, so we'd like you to place a bid. Like, uh, so they placed an RFP? An RFP, And then you respond... With a bid. That's right. Okay. Nice. RFPs come into, I mean, they're they're not necessarily field-specific. There was one time in college where I was, like, just getting into the idea of turning videography and photography into a career, and um, someone from Washington State's, like, a government office reached out and said, like, hey, we've uh, released an RFP. We'd like you to respond to it. Um, they were travel and tourism for Washington State, so... 
what we ended up like respond. I I really messed up on this one because I was in the middle of finals week, so I just kind of offloaded it to one of my buddies. It's a kayaker friend of mine, and I was like, "Hey, man, you go ahead and uh, respond to this RFP, and like you submit this for us. Here's our budget." And it was a pretty high budget at the time. I mean, I couldn't even fathom them saying yes to it because I mean, I was still in college. I was a little ignorant to this whole world. Um, so he put like a one page out there and just kind of submitted it and I didn't check it. And it, it was so, I don't want to say bad and bash on this guy, but had I done it or even checked it, it would have been like a five or 10 page, nice catalog that it would have designed on InDesign or like really put time into it. Cause it was a really high paying thing. Um, we, we were going to go on this like week long road trip all around Washington state and just film ourselves kayaking waterfalls. Anyways, lesson learned. If there's a new RFP out that is relevant, I will probably take some more time to personally do it. It's one of those things, you know, if you, if you want something done the right way. Once you yeah. release it, it's gone. Yeah, and um, it was unfortunate, but everything happens for a reason. Anyways, that was my uh, experience with an RFP. So <laughs> well, hopefully next time uh, take it a little bit more seriously. So, but you guys, do you respond? Are you on a team that responds to RFPs, or you're more of the designing part of the actual structure that's going in? Yeah, I'm. I'm on a team collaboratively. Okay. Um, my boss does the bidding himself, but right. I'll do the designs since I'm the entry level engineer. Right. right. Now. Yeah. Um, and I'll usually work with two or three other engineers um, throughout the U.S. And we'll come up with a design, send it to the company. You know how an RFP works. Yeah, yeah. They'll, if we win it, we win the contract, tweak the design, find vendors, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, kind of fill in all the gaps. Mm -hmm. So how often does it happen where you put a lot of time into an RFP? Or not an RFP, but a, a response, like a bid, um, where you or your team, you, you guys really want this project. So you put a lot of time and energy into it, and then they just sort of—they just no, sorry, we went with someone else. Does that happen often? Thus far, it hasn't really happened to me because yeah. I'm seven months into this job right now. Right. So just graduated back in May. Yeah. Started in June, and I've been working up until now. Okay. But a close buddy of mine, I do work with. He's had that happen to him twice in a year now, and he's so defeating. Puts in overtime, stays three or four in the morning right. to try to win this bid. And then the bid comes through, and it's we not, didn't get the contract. Man, that's got to be tough. I know that when I that story that I was telling you about, I was I was mad at myself more than anything because I was just kind of ignorant. And I was like, yeah, but I if if I did win that bid, I probably would not be where I am today. Like I wouldn't have finished college. I wouldn't have done all that. But it would have been a cool trip. So live and you learn. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that's pretty cool. So. You're you're just kind of fresh and getting your job experience. You're fresh into the career world. Yeah, just um, getting my feet wet right now. Nice. And what did you study in school? I did civil engineering with a concentration in energy infrastructure. Nice. So a lot of my schooling was based around renewable energy. Yeah. Kind of focused towards solar and wind in specific. Right. Um, didn't quite work out where I got a job in that field when I first came out, but I hope to eventually get into that sector, whether yeah. it be through the company I'm at now or um, a renewable company down the line. Right. Um, don't worry, Cole. We'll include you in a second. <laughs> Cole's just patiently Probably. waiting for me to throw him a bone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, feel free to interject at any point. But I, no, I, I, I want to know kind of 
what do you think about from your standpoint um, with renewable energy? Because energy is something that we've had to use fossil fuels. Um, we deplete a lot of our natural resources to get energy. And there are some ways, solar and, and nuclear, that are a little bit more efficient that you're not like uh, using coal and polluting and things like that. But every it seems that every single way that we get energy has some sort of downfall or some sort of catch-22, like mm-hmm. Han side to it. Um, do you foresee us using, the, what is it, dark matter or something like that to end up harnessing something like that or nuclear in a very efficient way that going forward would be... Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because you're fresh out of college. You have a different mindset than a lot of people five, ten years down the road. Mm-hmm. So if you could go and design something and make it happen, what would you what would you say would be important there? It's it's hard to say the future of energy. Right. Um, right now, a lot of people are putting their faith into renewable energy mm-hmm. because it is the the clean alternative. But like you said, any anything that takes any sort of procurement or raw materials is gonna leave some sort of stain on the environment as yeah. it passes through. Yeah. Um, we see that in solar with the PV panels, um, wind, you're still using steel to put up those poles or yeah, concrete. Yeah, those things are huge, by the way. Mm, massive. Yeah. Um, and what about hydroelectric dams? Hydroelectric dams. Have you seen the movie Damnation? Damn you guys oh, seen yeah, that? Yeah, I've seen That's that. It's a good movie. Yeah, that happens in my, uh, like, where I grew up, right in the Columbia Valley. Um, but you, what do you get? You, what do you guys think? Should we cut out all the dams in the U.S.? Or I, don't think, I mean, the movie states it pretty well. Yeah, we it have does. tons of dams that are operational, and we have tons that are just sitting there blocking rivers and not doing anything. Yeah. It's unfortunate that uh, that's the cost of what we thought was perfect clean energy then, and then we, as it was set up, started to see more and more, unfortunately, like while it's happening... Uh, devastating impacts that it was hap- that it was having on the environment. I wish that you know, as humans, we could look forward and figure it out better because we're we're really good at like making these mistakes and then like, oh shit, we got to go clean up what we did or we got to go fix that. Uh, but it would be so much better if we could you know proactively avoid that and plan a little better. Yeah, it it'd be good if we didn't have to learn from our mistakes right, all the time. Right, maybe uh some sort of simulations in the future can negate that yeah or maybe we're in a simulation right now and it's It's just part of the game yeah it's definitely possible (laughs) all right so you said the word procurement um let's move over to cole tell me because you said you're in procurement so run me through it it's it's at electrolux electrolux yes also known as frigidaire we own frigidaire okay nice Um, that's a recognizable name yeah it's all of our sales, but yeah. we have several other acquisitions as well. But uh, yeah, so it's funny that you guys mentioned RFPs and RFQs and that kind of thing because uh, in purchasing or procurement, however you want to call it, that's what I deal with every day. Right. So when you're talking about you win a bid and you have to go source things, I'm in the job of, okay, if you have a door handle for your refrigerator, I send out a bid or RFQ for suppliers to quote that. Mm, okay. They come up with a cost on how much your door handle cost. Right. And we choose from three to five suppliers on who we're going to buy that door handle for. Okay. Because if we back up a second, Electrolux doesn't make any parts of the refrigerator. You just assemble it? We, we just assemble it in okay. five different factories. And then sell all it. Different, and then we sell it, yeah. yeah. So, for instance, our one plant in Anderson, South Carolina, 
we make uh, top mount refrigerators like the one we we have downstairs. The refrigerator on the bottom, yeah, and then the freezer on top. Wait, what? Yeah, that's how that is down there. Oh yeah, yeah, the the classic, you know, it's just the, the top mount yeah, college refrigerator. Door, yeah, 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 I know what you're saying. So we don't make a single part on that refrigerator, really. Right. Some things like foam and whatnot, but we have. 200 plus suppliers where we buy all these parts from and then we assemble everything together and then we ship it off to Lowe's or Home Depot or whomever. Hmm. So what kind of big clients does Frigidaire have? I mean, are you guys working with like Samsung and those new refrigerators? We're competing against Samsung. Okay. So our competition is Whirlpool, GE, Samsung, High Air. Yeah. Um, we sell to people like Lowe's, Home Depot, and then they distribute our products oh, yeah big box stores yeah. all around the country so we don't world really do right? really direct a customer yeah um so frigidaire you guys make your own refrigerators from you know obviously different parts all, all over, over the world all over Dubai, the world, China, China, Thailand, when you put out an rfp for a specific product like a like it has to be a specially designed handle Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys put out like a rough draft of, Hey, here's the handle we're looking for. We'd like it to come in these three color variations and we want to order about a hundred thousand of them and then put that out. And then if you do, how do you, who do you put that out to? So it starts with finance coming up with however much they want the refrigerator to cost in the market. Right. So if they say we want this refrigerator to cost $250, yeah. they have to build up on how they're going to get to that cost. Yeah. So they may want like a super nice door handle that looks really nice but it's twenty dollars mm. so it starts with kind of you know a give and take of looks and design right versus price yeah and then i come in and say okay if you can tweak these things on the handle you can take a, another dollar out of the cost but keep right. the same look. same type of aesthetic mm-hmm. um save yourself a little bit of money exactly and then these five suppliers can make it at that cost right okay that's pretty cool and is that what you studied in school so I actually studied operations and supply chain management and similar. environmental science. Not similar. <laughs> I so guess you probably use it. Yeah, supply chain is more of the back end. Once we already got the part, supply chain comes in and figures out the logistics to get it to Electrolux. Yeah, right? yeah. I think one thing that I've had a problem with, and you guys, this has nothing to do with your job, I don't think, but uh, that's cool. Thanks I bored for, you too quickly. For, <laughs> no, no, I think it's really interesting. Uh, but it, it brought me to my next point. I think one thing I have a problem with is I've heard more and more people say, oh, you'll never use your degree. Oh, your degree is pointless. And I strongly disagree with that point because I do I do think that there are a lot of cases where, um, like, let's say, Jack, you went to school for civil engineering, correct? Correct. Um, let's say you came out and you wanted to be a financial advisor. And because you have a four-year degree, Maybe they were like, you know, you've you've graduated from school. We'll start you at the bottom. We'll see if you make it. And you can potentially get in there and do all the tests that are required to become a financial advisor and you have no, like, specific... And this is... I'm probably wrong on this. Like, you probably have to have some kind of qualification to be a financial advisor. But if you didn't need to and you, you didn't study financial advising in school or anything due to finance and then you go down the road and you're in a finance career but your your college education was completely different i still believe that no matter what you studied would have kind of brought you to there and you would always bring up what you learned in college what do what do you guys think yeah, i think 
for a lot of people, the value in the college education, depending on how technical your education is, is it teaches you a learning process. Mm-hmm. So you you have a structured courses and you have to do the work so you you learn how to learn almost. Yeah. So when I came out of college, I didn't go into supply chain, but I knew how to learn new things because I was not forced to, but had to learn several different things throughout college. So, Sorry. <laughs> I think that is a really important part of it. I don't think everybody needs to go to college to learn that type of thought process, but right. for a lot of people it's very beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I think what you said about learning how to learn is also, that like that's very important because you... Uh, you you really do you have those conversations as an adult or as a uh, an individual who's kind of who's kind of uh, formulating thought and you're processing positive and negative feedback. Um, let alone learning how to talk to women. That's a whole <laughs> learning curve there. But um, hey, they, you can't say those things now. No, I can say it. I, I'm I'm open to talk about it. I I didn't do anything that was unforgivable in uh, in college. I don't believe. Um, but you, there's all these things that you have to learn that are completely like new to you. You know, you have to actually use a syllabus, not just because the teacher said so, but because if you don't, you will miss your assignments and fail that class. And I hate when people say, oh yeah, it's just a piece of paper. Like, no, it's not. It's so much more than that. And you can't even put a value on it because it's so different for everybody. You know, you can get a civil engineering degree. I got a business marketing degree, but I promise you that my what I went through in, in college was completely different than what you did. It's not just a piece of paper and vice versa. What you guys got, pieces of paper, is completely different than you know anyone else because everyone's college experience isn't just in the classroom. It's what happens when you move into the dorms and you know people are pranking each other. It's what happens when you get your first girlfriend in college or... You, you get, like, a, your first speeding ticket or your first bill when you're living on your own out of the dorms, and you're like, what do I do? You're kind of kicked into the stuff. unknown. Yeah, man, it's important. And when you when you don't have that, there's a little bit of a buffer, you know, and when you kind of uh, you get to escape some of the stuff that you're forced into at college. Yeah, it is kind of like standing on the doorstep of real life. Yeah. You're getting to work with all different types of people from so many different disciplines mm-hmm. like just us sitting here you said you were marketing business and marketing yeah. Cole was supply chain management I was civil engineering and these are all majors that I've come into contact with through right. school right and not saying that everybody who gets certain majors are a certain type of person yeah because that's not true but you learn how to interact with different types of people with different types of expertise you do yeah um, because you'll notice a lot of like the what every, every I went to two different colleges. I went to first two years at a private liberal arts college, which uh, yeah, I've got mixed feelings about it. I really enjoyed the experience I had. Uh, the education I was kind of like, eh, this could be better, and I didn't really realize how I was lacking in that until I went to a, a much more strenuous university. But um, what I found out was that at both universities. The kids who were the best at cheating were always the business majors. So I would like I don't know how, but they would sweet talk the teacher, they would sweet talk the girls or the guys are sitting next to. Like, oh yeah, let me do, do, do and they'd get all the answers. And they were the best at cheating. 
both schools, hands down, all the professors knew it. Everyone that was at the school knew it. Um, but I, I almost applaud that because it's a certain type of skill set that you know maybe a a biology major might not have. A biology major might not have to do twenty presentations in a quarter. And if they did, it's it's to a different demographic of people who actually want to learn the data, not people who are going to get bored and pretty much just look at you like get off of the the podium there. Uh, so I I, I kind of hear what you're saying, you know, like you have to learn to interface with different people, and that's so vital for the real world, you know, when you get out there and you got to integrate with hippies. Yeah, it exposes <laughs> you to a lot. It does. Another thing that's really important is travel. I think travel is, international travel especially, but travel is, it kind of, like, if you don't go to college and you just travel, you're going to have a completely different entering into adulthood life than a lot of people who just went to school and didn't ever travel. And sometimes it's more beneficial. Um, yeah, that's what I, I, getting out of your comfort zone, I think, is so important. It's always good to get out of your comfort zone because you're stretching the limits of your mind yeah 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 and just exposing you to different ideas different ways of life you come back from a good trip or any trip to doesn't even have to be leaving the u.s it could right. be a couple hours drive from here and you realize people live lives way different than we way do. different oh yeah and to them, it's just their day-to-day life. Yeah, they love it most times. And when we get there, it might be alien to us, but yeah, you have that almost like a bond with those people knowing that they have their routines, you have your routines, and everybody's living and, and kind of just doing their own thing, but doing it in a survive. different way. Yeah. yeah, just trying to get by. Hey, Enzo, <laughs> are we boring you? Sorry, buddy. <laughs> But yeah, we're all trying to survive on this little rock, and there's, what, seven, almost eight billion, or are there a billion humans on Earth? Mm-hmm. Unfathomable close. amount of a lot of people on this planet, and to think that, oh, everyone's life is, is uh, you know, similar to mine, they're dealing with the same stuff that I am, that's so, so irrational, and you can't really convey that to someone, they have to go see it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... I think the first trip out of the country that I ever took was to uh, is to Peru, and I visited Lima, Cusco, and Machu Picchu. Nice. Uh, but I'd never seen poverty before. Before that. Before that. Yeah. And I was 12 yeah, or 13. That's a good age. 12 is very important. Uh, 7 to 11 is where your brain is starting to kind of develop like the social skills, um, kind of fine-tune them. And then when you're 12, that's when you and your head are like, oh, I'm a big kid now. You know, I'm figuring this out. You're not an adult, obviously. Your prefrontal cortex is not even close to being fully developed. But you you kind of, you think as a 12-year-old, oh, this is it. Like, I'm independent. Yeah. I can go on a walk on my own. So I think travel to see poverty at 12 years old is a perfect age to start. I uh yeah, it kind of knocks you off your pedestal a little bit. Definitely. Not that I was up on a big pedestal. Oh, yes, you were. <coughs> <You're> just <kidding. laughs> I can speak to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was he? Was he on a pedestal? Uh, I call it more of a soapbox. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, call it a soapbox. But uh, it was pretty humbling because you're still, you don't know how to fully process it. And I would like to go back there again 
but I'll go with you, man. Let's plan it. I, I'm not about plans. Just let me know the day before. Okay. <laughs> I'll meet you at the airport. All right, you're buying the tickets. I'll buy my ticket, my family's <laughs> tickets. <laughs> we'll sit first class. We'll put all you peasants in the... <laughs> all the soapboxes. Yeah, the all the soapboxes. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, that would be amazing to go back to Lima. I can't go to Machu Picchu, unfortunately, though. I think it's too high ele- elevation. It's not... It's a, probably... I think Cusco is... Yeah. I could be completely wrong, but I think it's around 8,000, 9,000 Yeah, Cusco's pretty yeah. high. It's too high for me. My, uh, I have a sickle cell anemia trait, and my spleen actually starts to rupture. My cells start to sickle, and the first organ that's affected is my spleen. My cells rupture, or my cells sickle, and my spleen starts to rupture after about... That was Enzo running down the stairs. After about 7,000 feet, uh, sometimes it happens at 6,500, sometimes it happens at 8,000. It just depends on how fast I go up there. And Is it a reverse reaction underwater? I don't know, man. I've never been 8,000 so feet underwater. Get get stronger. <laughs> but I do scuba dive, and I've never never dealt with anything like that. So I don't, it would be nice, though. But uh, no, I don't know. I guess I'll have to let you know if... Uh, that's right, because you said you went to Crested Butte and you got sick. Yep, Crested Butte in Gunnison, Colorado. That was where it happened. Wow. Um, that was where I first, I mean, I, it had really first hit me when I went to Apex Mountain with uh, the Young Life. Did you guys ever have Young Life mm-hmm. in high school? Yeah. I went on a Young Life trip snowboarding at Apex Mountain up in Canada, and I think that's about 8,500 feet. And uh, the doctor told me, oh, you're just constipated. I was like, oh, all right, because we had not the doctor, like a doctor doctor, but there was a real doctor on the trip who was off duty, and he was like, I think you're just constipated, man, and I was in such bad shape. We were in these bunk beds, and my best friend at the time, Nikel, was sleeping under me. He's this Indian kid, and he was kind of fragile at the time. He was a prissy. This kid got this nice BMW for his first car. I'm not jealous. <laughs> not at Seems all. Like a little bit. <laughs> no, he's he's in my wedding. He's a great dude. Um, I love Mikkel. He's now a dentist. Um, but at the time, he was at this trip. He was on this trip with me, and he uh, was in the bottom bunk. And because I was so sick, I, in the middle of the night, leaned over and puked oh. all in his <laughs> snowboard bag, all over his clothes and everything. And he woke up, Austin, what the fuck, man? Because I just <laughs> puked all over him. He was freaking out. Um, but I, yeah, the doctor was like, oh, you just got, you just got diarrhea. Um, I think it's a little more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then years later I find out that it's actually a sickle cell anemia trait. So Mm. now I know, but I unfortunately learned on that Crested Butte trip, which I talk about on episode two, I go into detail. So if you guys (laughs) want to know, go check out episode two. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Uh, that was a great episode. Um, anyways, yeah. So travel, I mean, definitely taught me in that case, you got to be a little less spontaneous, Austin, because you're going to start killing yourself. <laughs> You'll end up at 8,500 feet. Yeah, die. seriously, man. That was wild. But were you guys both on that trip to Peru and Machu Picchu? And Yeah, that was, if Cole was 12, that would have made me 10 then. Yeah. Um, I remember being a bit younger and a bit less experienced with traveling perhaps yeah because there's a mountain i don't know how many of your listeners have been to machu picchu before a couple i'm sure but you walk kind of down meandering along the mountainside that the town machu picchu is on 
and then you start climbing up this very steep hill right. called Wainu Pichu. Mm. And I remember when I got down to that, if you can imagine the mountain, that was like a half pipe. Right. And I'm at the very bottom. I turned around with my grandpa and my cousin, who was the same age as I. And, like, my uncle, my dad, Cole, they went up the mountain. So you kind of pussed out, for lack of better terms. It's very dangerous. I'm not saying that it was. I'm just saying (laughs) that's what happened. (laughs) I'm not. not Or he was forced to turn. Yeah, your parents were like, you're 10 years old, you're not a man, and Cole's already halfway up. (laughs) I'm an independent man. (laughs) Nobody, nobody. Catch me if you can. Yeah. No, that's so you want to go back for sure and and conquer the mountain. Well, yeah, that's that's an eventual goal. But yeah. to speak to the poverty Cole was talking about earlier, that's something we were both exposed to while we were there. Mm-hmm. And then, just so happened, my family sponsored a. It's called sponsoring a child. Yeah. So you donate money to the organization, right? Whose name I can't remember right now. But they give the money to the family to spend on, are you going to buy chickens, are you going to buy food or right, clothes, right. or send your kids to school. So we did that for years, maybe like a we decade. We still do it. Yeah. We might still do it. So yeah. World Vision. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they do that. Yeah, World Vision. The kid's name is Alexander. He lives in Ayacucho, Peru. Yeah. And our younger brother Noah and I, along with my mom and my grandpa, went to visit him. Oh, and meet this kid that we had been writing letters back and forth to for like five, six years. Pretty cool experience, huh? Yeah, it was very cool. I was probably 16 then. Um, Alexander was 13 and Noah was 14. Wow. And like we met his whole family too. So it was his aunt, uh, all three of his brothers, his dad, and just seeing like how thankful for that they were for donations that I mean, it's it wasn't my money; it was my parents' yeah, money. Yeah, but still, but it's something that they're just kind of like stifling aside to give to another family that right. they may or may not ever see. Yeah, and it's this money that is like keeping this family prosperous. Yeah, and, and getting their kids an education. Yeah, gives you a different perspective on how lucky we are to be born where we are. Yeah, kind of an appreciation for what we've got. Mm-hmm. I had a similar story. If I could tell it real quick, I. I mean, we, so you guys know the country, Rwanda, mm-hmm. probably one of the more recent big genocides. There's some that are happening in uh, Myanmar, Malaysia in the last 10 years. But Rwanda, this one happened in 93 or 94. And um, we started sponsoring a girl named Yuakonda Kareen. And she was down there, I don't know how, maybe through World Vision or something, we got connected. And it's, it's like you said, like maybe 20, 30 bucks a month. Maybe. Probably less than that. It's like a dollar a day. Yeah, it's really not that significant amount of money. But you're consistently sending money and then they always write you. And they're like, thank you so much. This is what we did with it. This is what we spent. And so for a long time, we were always writing back when you would Korean, she would these pink pieces of paper. She would send us pictures. And we would always read it as a family. And we would always like draft up this letter back to her. This happened for 10, 15 years, and then after she was, like, I don't know, through high school or college, I think out of college, they're not allowed to contact you anymore. So she, like, after she got out of that sponsorship program, eventually reached out to us on Facebook, and this years later, I got the opportunity to go down to this country, Rwanda, and um, she, like, made it a point to want to meet with me, and the country's really small, 
but she had to like what it came down to is the last day that I was there. She had to ride like a bus and then on the back of a motorcycle across this country to come meet up with me for like maybe 20 minutes. And then she, she had to like run back and catch the last bus that was going back across the country. But she did that. She, so I, I had given up. I thought she was not going to see me, whatever, but she surprised me on the last day, like within the last couple of hours, right before I went to bed and I'm a pretty spiritual person, and, like, if, if you guys want to really know how deep this story goes, like, it goes really deep, and some crazy, freaky stuff happened that, like, all of these coincidences and correlations, if you will, um, that, to me, it was like, this is a divine appointment. But it was very incredible when she showed up and just the amount of, like, gratefulness and gratitude that she had. And just because I was a, a younger byproduct of my parents who were really running the show and donating money she was just so thankful and so happy to see me and um, she ended up meeting me at the airport right before we left a couple days later but she said and I'll never forget this she said the money that your parents sent it kept me out of prison it kept me through school and now I have a kid that I'm I'm raising and I'm a doctor and I help people all because of the money and the support that you guys gave me, not just financially, but the fact that you guys were another, you were a family that was in another country that I knew I could rely on. And that, I, I like started tearing up because I had never felt something like that. Like that amount of gratitude for just, what, 25 bucks a month or something. So incredible though. So I, I encourage everyone to sponsor a job, but then go meet them, you know, yeah, in real follow life. up on it. Yeah, it was a pretty incredible event, but... I just wanted to kind of relate to that story because I had something yeah. similar. And it was, I can say it on a podcast and we can tell people about it, but unless someone actually experiences that firsthand, they have no clue the amount of, like, it's just a weird feeling of joy that happens in your heart. It's so incredible. I think a lot of people would kill for that feeling if they knew. Yeah, that really was. I think at the time of the experience, I may have been a little young to comprehend. Go back. Like really, the scale of it, but I mean, especially reflecting on the experience now. Yeah. Like they pulled in their entire family into the town to yeah. come talk to us and meet us and thank us and went and played soccer with us and took us to their favorite restaurant. Amazing man. To them, it it's maybe it's something they still talk about today. It might be. And to me, it's something. We're still talking about ever, it. Like, if I'm ever down on my luck about something's not working out, it's, it's, you know, like you have something to be thankful for. Right? We complain about some pretty minor stuff in the grand scheme of things, you know? Um, I'm not saying that our complaints are... I'm not saying that our complaints are useless or, you know, that we complain about stuff that we shouldn't. Um, but there, there are a lot of things that we, because we live this mundane lifestyle, it's very, like, we were very, um, how would you say, ritualistic? Creatures of habit. Creatures of habit, for sure. So we, we forget to almost, like, uh, really give thanks and be uh, really thankful for the things that we have. Little things, you know? I'm wearing a watch that ticks, and I'm wearing shoes. On that same trip, I saw this little girl that, I mean, there's like 50 cent foam flip-flops that people were begging Americans just for 50 cents so they could wear flip-flops because they were walking around barefoot. 
and I was like, what are we doing? You know, I get back to the, the airport and there's a line of like 30 for Starbucks. What? There's 30 people trying to get fatter than they already are on Starbucks whipped cream. <laughs> yeah, sugar. Uh, sugar yeah. I get, I get really uh, agitated when I talk about that subject. Just the things we complain about. It's so minor. Yeah, to, to tie it back up, that's the like the power of traveling and getting out of your comfort zone. And, right. Because when you do go stand in that Starbucks lawn and you see somebody getting mad because their bagel is taking a little bit longer than it should. Seriously. You, you can have that perspective on yeah. it. Just kind of adds At a least you have a bagel. You know? Yeah, you're like, at least you're wearing shoes. And you're flying. You're sitting on a on a chair that's gonna go 500 miles an hour across the country. You tell me about your bagel. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, I'll tell you what you can do with your bagel. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what to do with that. But, but yeah, I. I think, <laughs> what are you gonna do with it? Well, I didn't put some I didn't cream cheese on that bad boy. And yeah, and toast it. <laughs> you, to- you overheat that bagel. <laughs> and do something else with it. You can use your imagination. But we have young listeners. Yeah, I can't I can't go too deep into what people should be doing with their bagels, ungrateful people. But mm-hmm. but yeah, um I think travel, man, that's that's the key to it. But you can also do you can experience that kind of thing here in the States. I've um I le- I was lucky to learn this when I was like fourteen that you can like really bless people with not a lot. And I I went on this, my parents, they really, they were kind of fed up with me when I was like 13, 14, for good reason. I was a little shit. Um, but they kind of sent me off for a summer. There was one summer where I traveled. I was away from home every day, but maybe four days, you know, so there was four days where I was home and they weren't all consecutive. It was like two and then one and then two months later, one or something. But it was a whole summer and I was just from this camp to this camp to this this place to the visiting family over here and that whole thing um but all that to say we we went on this mission trip i went on this mission trip with people i hadn't i had never met other than my cousin i had one cousin on this trip and um he was like a leader it was it was his youth group um, that we drove from portland oregon to san francisco it's probably about a 10 hour drive and we had two or three buses, and basically the whole idea was we're going to expose you to homelessness yeah. and give you some gratitude for what you got. And um, the coolest thing was, like, they, I mean, they gave us $1.50 one day and said, like, leave at 7 a.m. and come back at 7 p.m. And that was, it was so amazing going to the homeless kitchens and things like that. There was one one time where, I mean, there's like 15 of us, and we're just talking to people and trying to, at the time, share the love of God. Uh, but at the age of 14, you have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, you have that passion sometimes, but you you don't really have any idea of what you're saying. And um, there was this guy that was, like, crippled and trying to cross the street on his, like, broken wheelchair. For some reason, I came up to him and said, like, it's okay, I know what you're going through, God loves you, or something like that, something super ignorant. And he pulls his hood off and looks at me, and he says, you have no idea what I'm going through. And I just, I stopped. I was like, I just froze. I didn't know what to say. And he just kind of wheels off and shaking his head, like, damn white boy, or something like that. 
but he, I was, that hit me. I was like, I, I really don't have any clue what this person's going through. So I made it a point to figure out, you know, what is this lifestyle like of homelessness in San Francisco? And we did this thing where we got these bag lunches, like you put two sandwiches in, and then like a granola bar, carrots, yeah. celery. I think we did that same thing um, in D.C. Mm-hmm. And you go up to homeless people, like it, there it was very, there was an obvious population of homeless people. And you just say, hey, can, I, can we have lunch with you? You give them a bag of lunch, you sit down and have lunch with them, a little picnic. And I learned so much from these people, just the amount of little that they had and how they, a lot of times, were more happy than most of the rich people I knew. Um, it was amazing. And I even today, I got like, uh, I went to this Indian restaurant earlier, and I, I shoot for Uber Eats a lot and a lot of time every single restaurant tries to feed me all their food I'm like I no I don't want this like it, a lot of times it just doesn't look good but a lot of other times I just I've already eaten at the past four restaurants I've been to uh, but what I've recently started doing is like taking it to go and giving it to people on the side of the road or if I'm in uptown downtown I uh, would give it to homeless people there and today I gotta give a guy some tikka masala like rice and it was. It's just the best feeling in the world to see that kind of smile. They're like, oh, you gave me a, a second of your time. You didn't just like, brush me off like the rest of the world. It's amazing. And I think the root of everything that you're getting at is, serving. Yeah, becoming a servant. But not expecting way. anything in return. Yeah, yeah, doing it for the right reason, and not like, uh, like you said, not. I don't, and even the word expecting, but you get just like not even wanting anything in return. Uh, not even that you would expect it or not, but even if they had like, here's here's a dollar, thank you for for this. You don't want that, because it means so much more if you can, you know, give and not receive anything back. Because you you feel that you know, you feel the inequality in your heart, and it makes you feel good subconsciously it's pretty great should we challenge all the listeners to serve someone tomorrow yeah i mean if you hear this and um any of that resonates with you you should definitely and i'll I'll challenge you guys which um in part will challenge everyone that's listening to this tomorrow and maybe the next day but try to make it a point to help someone in need i mean whether it's a homeless guy that you see on the side of the road or it's someone that you know is going through something emotionally financially spiritually or if they're having trouble and you just want to talk to them about it and be a listening ear in some cases let's make it a point to try to help someone this week in the way that you can a lot of people you guys down yeah let's cheers to that real quick Oh, we got coasters, or uh, what are these called? <laughs> the silent <laughs> Silent cheers. <laughs> what are these things called? The, koozies. Uh, yeah, we got koozies on our beers, so you can hear that, but it was great. <laughs> or do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's really, let's plan on doing that. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't have, I can't help people. Not with like, you know, I'm not rich. I don't have that kind of money. I just give things to people. But it can start with, like, one one year I did this where I would always have this big 10-gallon Ziploc bag. I don't know if it's 10-gallon, but big Ziploc bag in the passenger seat. I'd stuff it with candy, chapstick, water bottles, chocolate bars. 
And when I'd see people that were asking for money, I'd just give them a handful of candy or a handful of, you know, snacks and a water bottle. And that's like a $10 investment. But it doesn't even have to be with that. You can be at a Starbucks and pay for the person behind you. And I think we're, we're talking a lot of, like, giving of physical things, but it can also be as easy as talking to somebody at work and asking about their dreams and aspirations. Yeah, that goes a long ways. Because there may be somebody at work that's kind of struggling in their career and they just need someone to spark that interest. Right, in right. And even if it's something simple like, what do you want to accomplish in your life? Yeah. Where do you want to go with this? What do you? And just listening to them after that, it's huge. I mean, how often huge. do you get to do that? It's huge. Yeah, sometimes you just got to get things off your chest. And you can think about them for a long time, but until you like put them out there and in the open for for other people to hear, it doesn't necessarily sound real to yourself. I agree. I think um, kind of you can. I believe in, in speaking things into existence, and um, like if you have a certain reality that you want to achieve, you can. If you talk about it enough, eventually you're going to make it true. I mean, even I, I could even say as far fetched as like, I want a Maserati. I want a brand new Maserati. And you go and you talk every single day to one person that hasn't heard it before. Hey, in my life, I'm going to get a Maserati. And if you do that for your whole entire life, I guarantee you one day you'll get a Maserati. I guarantee you'll figure you gotta, out how to make it out. I, I think you got to be careful with that statement too because the mind is powerful and it can go in both ways. So yeah. you can also be very negative as well. You can. I, uh, yeah, I unfortunately saw it. Yeah, in, in high school and middle school, I always would tell my parents, I want you guys to get divorced. I'd be like, why would you even say that? And now I look back and absolutely like ignorant and rude of me to say but I would say it because I wanted two Christmases and that was it I was just I was selfish enough to be like wow can you guys just get a divorce so we can have two Christmases and I, I said that enough to where eventually when they get did get a divorce they were like Austin this wasn't your fault and I was like what do you mean it definitely was my fault and that I felt like that tremendous pressure and guilt because you know they immediately said this wasn't your fault um but i i, I think that that kind of resonates the point i don't think that i'm the reason that my parents got a divorce i but, would hope not <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> problem child jeez but um but yeah uh, speaking things into existence and being able to express something or be a listening ear for someone else to express something orally and actually vocalize something is that's a that's a cool part in someone's life people remember that yeah that's that's something i do for myself sometimes um i found it's helpful if i pick up a guitar Mm -hmm. and usually i can like convey a feeling through like a sound or a chord better than i can articulate the words yeah i totally know that feeling and then on top of that if you can like find those chords you were looking for you just didn't know you were looking for them right and then I'll just start blabbering on for yeah. 30 minutes, an hour, like singing over the lyrics. Yeah. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm singing about. Yeah. But usually by the end of it, it comes out exactly what I was thinking of, but I'm I couldn't like, get out of my head. How did I do that? You just and, express yourself without yeah, even really... It, it's like your subconscious takes over after a while. and Yeah. And then you have 
you don't have it figured out, but at least you can like pinpoint the issue or the problem or whatever yeah. it was that was bothering you. Yeah, I hear you. I think another big one is that kind of ties onto that point is um, dreams, and if it it happens in a way to where your subconscious will tell you something and try to communicate with you, kind of in the way that if you're just singing a song and just saying things, you don't even realize that you're actually like your subconscious is trying to communicate with you. But dreams is a big one too. If you start writing down your dreams, you'll start to notice patterns. If you do it every day, you'll be like, oh, oh, my body is trying to tell me something. I need to interpret this and either cut this out or do more of this or less of this. Um, I'm sure there's other ways of communicating with your subconscious. DMT, LSD, all that. (laughs) I'm not interested in any of that, but... Um, I think that, and I'll defend that point, why I'm not interested in LSD. You don't have to defend. I don't think I do, but I've got a very valid reason. Um, <laughs> very valid. Uh, but anyways, I, I think that your subconscious definitely attempts to communicate with you as an individual. And I think singing and songwriting is definitely one of the ways, if you're kind of free. It's one form of listening to it. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? How would your subconscious communicate with you if it wasn't dreams and sing? Because you don't play instruments, do you, Cole? I do not. What a shame, man. <laughs> you got the hair for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just giving you The Main. Yeah. Uh, Which is a good band. There's a band called The Main. Yeah, uh, I think that's something I'm still trying to figure out. Honestly, I don't have a... I think rock climbing has a lot. I... Uh, can communicate with myself I know how my body feels I know how to start training my mind and listening to it but I haven't really found a great outlet for it yet yeah rock climbing's amazing it's such a good workout and I I wish I was like as dedicated as you and some of my other buddies are um just because I I can't because of the time and the commitment and my the life that I live and is baby a lot Leonidas. different. Baby Leonidas on the way. I got a little, little dog, which is, these are all excuses and reasons why I can't commit the time that I do. But every time I get to the gym and actually go climbing with you guys, I'm like, man, I need to do that more often because I'm slacking and these guys are doing way better than I am. <laughs> and it shows that, you know, you can tell when someone's a dedicated climber um, and then when someone's just showing up like me. Yeah. Climbing is a huge mental game. And you do have to have a certain type of strength for it, too. You do, but I think over everything, it's completely mental. Yeah. Like uh, Ben and Brittany and all of us were climbing outdoors the other day. Yeah. And we were on a, I think it was a 10C. Explain that. Five, it's a, the climbing grades. They start at like 5'8 and go to 5'15 plus. So we were on a climb that was about a 510B, 510C. Not a very super hard climb. I uh, don't climb outdoors on ropes a whole lot, so I get easily intimidated. Right. But this is a climb that if it was in the gym, I would have walked up it. Right, yeah. Uh, but the start, the first bolt on the start was 15 feet high. So oh, wow. I was pretty much free climbing for 15 feet before and I clipped clip in. in. Yeah. But it's such a mental game because I'm over-gripping on every single hold. Right. Uh, by the time you get to that first bolt, you're pumped out and yeah. tired, right? Yeah, so you got to pace yourself. That's the beginning of showing how the mind controls the body. Yeah. I'm scared, so I'm over-gripping, thinking that's going to help me hold on. Right. 
and therefore making you tired yeah. and anxious. So. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a lot of that, that kind of dynamic. There's a lot of different examples of where that comes into our life. And I'm, uh, I'm getting through this audio book I was telling you about. It's called Coddling of the Human or the American Mind. Oh, you're telling me. So good. I would encourage you guys to check it out. It's called Coddling of the American Mind. The author was on the, one of the authors was on the Joe Rogan podcast uh, recently. But in this book, it's this, uh, I want to say like a social psychologist or maybe something like that. Uh, He studies minds and people. And um, they dove into the topic of like obviously coddling, but how they they did this study where they they gave these pregnant moms who were in, there were two groups of pregnant moms right and I'm trying not to butcher this but there are two groups of pregnant moms that were at risk of their kids having peanut allergies and for group A they said okay we're going to kind of microdose you guys and give you a little bit of peanut at a time like they would give them Somehow these little these little nuggets or something like that with a little bit of peanut and they would increasingly add more and more peanut into it. And then there was the other side where they said, okay, you moms don't touch anything peanut related throughout your entire pregnancy. And they followed up with the kids. And at age five, there was something like a significant amount more of the moms that didn't expose their kids to the peanut. They all had not all of them, but like a significant amount more than the other group. They all had peanut allergies. They were all allergic to peanuts because their moms didn't touch peanut. And the ones that kind of micro-exposed and micro-dosed the little bit of peanut for uh, their pregnancy and then like during their Mm -hmm. first five years of life, like a very slim number of those kids actually had peanut allergies. I feel like that directly correlates with like hard work and practice and communication with your subconscious and communication with others and things like that. That same kind of dynamic where if you kind of coddle yourself, make yourself comfortable, then you are going to be less uh, capable and have less skills in life and and yeah. kind of that, that you don't have that, that pressure, the pressure test or the stress test. So you don't really get to develop that strong. I think the ultimate example of that is Wim Wim Hof. Do you know the Iceman? Wim Hof. He's able to control, like his physical being. So, they did a study on fifty different people. He was the fiftieth person. They put every person, all forty nine people, in ice baths, and every single person's body temperature dropped. Right. They put Wim Hof in the ice bath, and he was capable to regulate his own body temperature. Wow. Wim Hof. Wim Hof. I highly suggest reading his book or listening to a podcast with him. Yeah, I'll check out Wim Hof. So he does all this through breathing techniques and meditation. Yeah. But he's able to control his body temperature. He can fight off diseases. They've injected him with, like, common colds. And he can just... And they inject, you know, 100 different people with him. Everybody gets the cold. He's able to fight it off. Wow. So he has some sort of... Yeah, that'd, that'd be cool to kind of tap into what that superpower is, yeah. not to get that. Yeah, the real cool thing about him is, like, although he has this, some kind of seemingly superhuman strength to him, he preaches, like, this isn't anything that is just within me. It's yeah. something that Y'all anybody can, can cultivate. Wow. All right, well, we'll have to look at Wim Hof.
Wimhoff, am I saying that right? Wimhoff? Wimhoff. Yeah, that's what I said. So this guy, he controls his own breathing and he can control his own immune system, essentially, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's what he's able to go like deep inside himself and control matter almost, I guess, is what... Wow. I'd have to see it. I'm no, I'm no expert on the subject. I Sounds encourage like all the listeners to read about him on Wikipedia. Okay. okay. How do, dude, Wikipedia <laughs> is not a very reliable source. It can be, but... Okay, Wim Hof. W-H-I-M-H... W-I-M yeah. space H-O-F. Wim Hof. Okay, so check out Wim Hof and uh, all the great accomplishments of Wim Hof. All right, so I would like to introduce one other guest that has joined us, uh, the lovely Nikki Seward. She has been all over the world since the last time we've seen her, pretty much. And, um, well, I shouldn't say all over the world, but some really incredible travels. Um, She's a good friend of ours, and she's got some great insight to the conversation, so we're bringing her in. Hello, Nikki. Hello. Welcome to the Marvel Monologues. Thank you. All right, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome Such her. Such a surprise. Welcome. Welcome. Yay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about this trip. Um, I know that we briefly had conversations. I tried to follow you a little bit on Facebook. I think at one point you lost your phone. Yeah, it was kind of hard um, to follow me between... Yeah. I was kind of in remote sp- places and yeah, well, I was we'll out of a phone back. for so a while. When did you leave America? In January of 2017. So just about a year ago. Yeah. So I was gone for about 11 months or so. And covering most Latin where'd, America. Where'd you start after you left Charlotte? Where'd you go? So I started in Costa Rica. Okay. Um, to do a month-long yoga retreat to get my yoga certification to teach. Okay. And, what is yeah. a yoga a yoga certification training? What is that like? What does that entail? So I just did my 200 hours, which is the basic. That's a lot. Um, yeah, but it was amazing. So you <laughs> wake up imagine, at yeah. 6 in the morning, and you're doing stuff all the way until like 6 or 7 at night. Then wow. you have, yeah, your practice and everything like that. Um, at first, I was just doing it to kind of grow mm-hmm. personally, right. and I just fell in love. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. No, yeah. I surprisingly, I've never, ever in my life done any sort of yoga. Never. Never. Not hot yoga, not cold yoga. yoga tomorrow. We uh, should change that. I'm, I'm probably busy tomorrow. So. Oh, you're busy. Uh, <laughs> well, what about after no, this podcast? I'll be busy. Yeah. You know, oh, I got, yeah. I got sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely, I've always been interested and I've heard a lot of my friends who are like advocates for it. There was yeah. even a yoga class in college that I was tempted to take, um, but I didn't. And I've never done yoga in my life, so uh, well, I'll... I'll have to give it a try sometime. One day. There's a yoga for everybody, I think. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that, like, once you find it, you're like, what have I been doing? Yeah. But you can't really force someone into it. Exactly. Yeah. It's Just like with that anything with a lot else. of things. Yeah. 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 But sometime, I'll give it a try. We can try some stuff here tonight. You got a yoga pad right there. Yeah. I know the down... Well, I don't even want to say I know the downward dog. I just... I think that's what my <laughs> dog does in the morning where he yeah, stretches out. Exactly. It yeah. mimics, you know... Well, animal animals. movements, I mean, every every morning that an animal wakes up, you watch them stretch out and do these poses that humans didn't try to emulate. And, I mean, that's how animals start their day. Why don't, yeah. You know? I mean, it's just a natural, every single day we're doing things, sitting in desks, doing things that are so unnatural, and right. it just gets you back moving yeah. in different ways that you're supposed to. What do you think about, like, um, 
I forgot the term for it, but when you walk barefoot, how you like connect with the earth. Have you heard of that? It's that it's a yeah. yeah, there's there's some kind of theory where when you walk without shoes and without socks, I heard this like, I don't want to yeah. say preposterous, but this cr- out there idea where the government was trying to dumb down American humans, not just yeah. Americans, but they introduced shoes and uh, you know some either the illuminati or the aliens or <laughs> evil <Maybe> beings <laughs> they uh they they told and made it commercialized to wear shoes and socks so that your feet don't connect with the earth like the actual soil and that you like you become less there's capable of that there's huh. that like grounding theory there's that's what it's called grounding some people that like tie these metal uh, not strings, but metal bands, wires to yeah. their big toe, huh. and they'll take it out of the window at night and stick the other end of the wire into the ground. Why? So it grounds you to the earth. Why? Huh. And the electrons that are in the ground can travel into your body. It's huh. called grounding. I feel like I'm, I move a lot in my sleep, so I tangle that up. Not your toes. <laughs> what if I live on the second floor? Long wire. <laughs> Long wire. <laughs> Bluetooth. Right. Yeah, Bluetooth. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, that's, uh, that's one of those things. I Like, eventually, yeah, I'll look into it and see if there's any thought. <laughs> that one in Flat Earth, you know? But yeah. Anyways, um, so, Nikki, you started off, can I, you started off in Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, you were there for a month. You got mm-hmm. yoga instructor certified. I did. After that first 30 days. Well, in the first 30 days, was that pretty crazy? Did you get homesick? Nope, never. Wow. No, wow. it was... Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. So after the first 30 days, then where'd you go? What happened then? And then I flew down um, to Patagonia. Nice. Yeah, to catch the season there. Um, what do you mean catch the season? So you can only go during certain seasons in Patagonia. Uh, you definitely don't want to go in their winter. Why so is that? Our summer. So cold. <laughs> and it's, I think they shut it down, actually, in some parts, oh, okay. in the Chilean side, in Toro Step Pine. So the touristy stuff, you just can't really do. What snows, like, a lot. Oh, yeah. Lot. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> almost in Santiago Antarctica, just really. a week ago. Wait, what? Yeah. A week he ago? Back. Well, that's yeah. why you look so tan, Jack. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was just kidding. Where, <laughs> no, you look pretty tan. Um, um, but why were you in Santiago? Uh, just New Year's. I was going with our little brother Noah, uh, my girlfriend Mary, and our grandpa. So that story that you just told a little bit ago, was that from this last trip? No, no, no. That okay. was from Peru. And then I was in Chile. Santiago, Los Andes, Valparaiso, and Vino del Mar. Wow. But in Santiago, to kind of build off what you guys were saying, we went up to the statue in Argentina after we crossed the border. Right. And there's still snow up on the mountains there. Oh, really? So it stays pretty cold year-round. The Andes are super high. It's yeah. summer there right now. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah, uh, yeah. the yeah. southern hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the opposite, opposite of what we got. Yeah. So you were down there just for fun, New Year, New Me type of thing. Yeah, vacation. <laughs> never been there before, and yeah, just uh, we started. Not, I'm hesitant to call it a tradition, right? But kind of like my brothers and my grandpa, and yeah. sometimes my cousin and I have started like a New Year's trip. Right, that's cool. Um, we went to Amsterdam a few years ago, and then Hamburg, Germany last year. Nice. And then 
uh, Santiago this year. So what out of all those places was your favorite to visit? Uh, it's hard to pick a favorite because they're all very different. Right. Amsterdam, it was my third time being there, and it was it's just different every time because yeah. it's such a like lively, vibrant city. Right. Um, it it never quite feels like it's going to bed. Yeah. Um, with not just the red light district. Yeah. Wait, you went to the red light district? <laughs> Did you uh, spend some time there? You were. I didn't spend any cash there. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Um, they accept credit, is what you're saying. Chopping block. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but it's it's a very different city because there's so much bike and foot travel through there. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. Canals through the whole city, so a lot of boats too. Wow. Um, and then you contrast that with a place like Santiago, which is in a valley surrounded by the Andes, the yeah. mountains, like. 10,000 feet higher like it's uh it's just a very different place it's hard to pick a favorite between them you know how much of a heyday I would have had there with my camera and my drone I would have freaked out I would have filmed I would have stayed out all night done time lapses of the stars and I'd go do do they have any big game wildlife not that we saw we saw a lot of birds a lot of different types of brightly colored birds but not not I think a lot of stuff there is protected yeah, oh, there's a ton of national parks there. Yeah. Well, also, there's not that many. I don't want to say mammals, but there's not that many. Like big, big animals, animals there. Yeah, I mean game. you have puma and you have. Yeah. Um, I, you have some big deer. Probably yeah. the biggest deer I've seen, but honestly, it's. Is there? Know, they're in Argentina. It's like all the animals. I think I watched deer. this uh, this thing. This something Boone. He's like a wildlife videographer for Nat Geo. I believe it's Nat Geo, and he films pumas or he did in this series and he filmed this puma that would go and murk these like penguins like they had this little penguin set up and he would just go tear them apart and eat them in the middle of the night and there would be all these like useless not useless but helpless penguins and this puma would go down there bite their heads off take a bite out of them and go on to the next and he would just like go through a hundred penguins anyways do you want to be a nature photographer could you do I that? I could do it. I have done it. Um, because I like money and a financial career, I don't think that that would be my my way of making my like my money yet. Okay. Um, but I've I've always wanted to become a National Geographic photographer. We met um, a guy when we were in Patagonia that was shooting for Nat, Nat Geo. Yeah. He was shooting pumas. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. And yeah, birds. So I'm wondering. The same dude. Well, it, same guy. do you know his contact info or know his name? No, but his camera was like this big. It was huge. <laughs> yeah. It might have been the same dude. I would love it if we found out. If that was the same guy, I mean, I am a huge fan of his work. But to answer your question, yes, I recently especially have started to fall more and more in love with uh, wildlife photography and mainly because I'm I'm kind of making the move to get more into hunting and more into fishing. Um, and with that, I, I wouldn't just be out there to kill an animal, mm-hmm. but also to like observe it and be in its environment. So naturally, I would bring out a huge lens and a, a big camera and be photographing this thing, um, primarily, probably before I would hunt it. Like it would, I would be more interested in taking pictures of this thing and then, you know, if I get a chance to harvest it and take it out and, you know, actually use its meat, 
then yeah, that'd be that'd be a good byproduct. But I would probably go out there with the the passion of wanting to photograph it, and not to make money. That'd be like a retirement passion project type of thing. Um, but I've shot some incredible animals, like lions, and I think the really? liger was probably the scariest shot I've ever taken. A lion tiger? A, yeah, a lion tiger. It was huge. But I've got some really cool shots. Like I've got a <laughs> what a liger. It's, she's thinking of Borat or uh, what is it? Napoleon oh, uh, Dynamite. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. The liger is a okay. huge animal. I did not know it was a real thing. It is. There's, there's a zoo up north of Charlotte, probably like up by Statesville area, and you can. It's a big cat zoo, and you can see these leopards, ligers, tigers, lions. Bears, oh my. Um, but yeah, it's a real animal. I've got a whole gallery on my website. It's like uh, awesomemarvel.com. I'll check it slash out. Wildlife. Slash wildlife. Slash liger. Slash ligers. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get into wildlife photography. Um, I'm going to stick with the nature and the outdoor adventure um, in the meantime. But yeah. yeah we did a lot of question. shooting like that in Chile. Yeah. We did a few expeditions into the mountains. Um, one of the guys' places we were staying at, it was an apartment in Los Andes, and he owned a ride, kind of like an Uber service in Chile, so he hooked us up with a ride, this guy Cesar that he knew, who carried us with his truck into Argentina one day, Hmm. um, to do a little bit of hiking, a little bit of just riding around and seeing a country and really a landscape I've never seen before, because you start down in, in this valley, and you're surrounded by buildings, you don't see a whole lot, and you hop on this road, and there's, where we were, there's one main road that passes from Los Andes, over the mountains, through a tunnel, into Mendoza, Argentina. Hmm. But you go from being in this valley, to all of a sudden you look around, and you're just surrounded by 13, 14,000 foot peaks, that are just like sheer rock faces going up around you. I would love to be right there in the middle of all that. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Welcome back to the States. It's good to be back, Yeah, and I also wish I was still there. Right. It's one of those things you're like, why did I come back? But at the same time, you're like, I just am so glad I get to sleep in my own bed, and I can sleep for a while. Yeah, I love that feeling. Um, but you, you kind of have a, when you get back from a big trip like that, you kind of have this like high that you're on. And it, sometimes it'll last a week, sometimes it'll only last a day, hours. But you have this high that you're on and you're like so in tune with yourself, your subconscious. And depending on your experiences, you you gain like a certain level of understanding about your, your subconscious and yourself and who you truly are. I think that's important. Uh, and it's only obtained in a lot of ways by travel and travel to places that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. In places where you have to go outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, this trip especially hit me with that because although I've spoken decent Spanish in the past, mm. I'd lost everything I knew. You Spanglish, you were whitewashed. Yeah. yeah. So it was my first time in being in a Spanish-speaking country where I I really didn't have any Spanish. Right. And it was interesting to communicate worse now than I did five or six years ago yeah. when I was in a Spanish-speaking country. Yeah. Um, just a different approach you have to take and different precautions to make sure you're like right. taking care of yourself. And, yeah, and, no microaggressions. Yeah, you, you don't want exactly. to piss anyone off. Yeah, and make sure you're communicating what you want to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's don't amazing how much 
you can communicate without knowing the same language. Yeah, you know, yeah. And gestures go a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and if you're willing to put in the effort, people will. They're willing to reciprocate yeah, that back to you. Exactly. For the most part, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that 100. percent Yeah. So after Nikki, I want to pick your brain a little bit more. Um, you spent your first 30 days getting your yoga instructor certification. Mm-hmm. You hopped on a plane. Where'd you go after that? Patagonia. Right. Um, yeah, spent a few weeks there just hiking um, through the Argentinian side, Chilean side, met right. uh, these guys. Wait, before you say these guys. So yes. Cole Lee Snitzer, the older <laughs> of the two brothers, and Ben Pierce from episode one. And, um, ben Pierce from yeah, episode and one. Yeah, and where's Brittany Turner? And Brittany Turner. She, we're going to get her on a, uh, a podcast um, yeah. trying to figure out logistics of that. Trainer. But, she is an incredible dog trainer, good, and good rock being. climber, and um, she's Benjamin Pierce's better half. I and like my best friend. And she's she's everyone's better and half. And my sister. Okay. And your sister. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, anyways, um, y'all went down to Patagonia to meet up with Nikki on this leg of a trip. Yeah. Right. Um, so you guys did some crazy adventures. I saw all the pictures, and uh, I remember when you guys got back. We had a barbecue or something, and just basically you guys told stories. You and you and Ben, Cole and Ben, stories. just told some stories, showed some <laughs> pictures. Uh, so it, it looked like a fun time. Patagonia, yeah. it made me, I the only other experience that I had had or exposure I'd had to Patagonia was um, there's a snowboarding movie called The Art of Flight. Oh, yeah. It was put out by um, Red Bull. Beautiful movie. And Brain Farm Cinemas. They do an incredible production. But they filmed themselves going down this, like, glacier chute um, in Patagonia. That Enzo, that is a dog snoring. He's a dog. He's meditating. He's meditating. <laughs> but um, your guys' trip to Patagonia looked pretty incredible. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was. After the Patagonia trip, did was it Brittany that stayed behind for yeah. a little bit? And you and her kind of had some girl time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, much needed. It yeah. was awesome. We went to wine country in... Um, yeah, right outside Santiago. Wow. Yeah, um, we made our way over to where Jack just was. Yeah. In Valparaiso on the yeah, west coast. So, yeah, it was awesome. Cool. If you get the chance, I would highly recommend it. All of South America, really. Really? Yeah. So all of it. I got to go and do all of it for a year. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so yeah. after after um, Brittany <clears throat> came back to the States and it was just you again, mm-hmm. where'd you go after that? I kind of hopped around a bit. Right. Um, I guess it'd be easier to say the places I did not go. Yeah, um, so you covered a lot of ground in South I America. I did, yeah. I had 11, 11 months. Yeah, and, that's plenty um, of time. Yeah, so Argentina, Brazil, um, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia. Uh, yeah, and then I kind of made my way into Latin America a little bit. Okay. Um, Panama and Mexico. Nice. Um, but yeah, it was... Yeah, unexplainable. Yeah, I can imagine. It's it just, just open your eyes in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. No, I can totally imagine that. And um, we, were, we were talking a little bit before you came on about how there's some things that only travel will teach you. Mm-hmm. Appreciation is one big thing. Like when you're exposed to true poverty yeah. and true thankfulness from people who are, uh, you know, they're impoverished. Mm-hmm. And, am I saying that word right? Mm-hmm. Impoverished? Yeah. Um, 
and they they truly accept and appreciate you for who you are and if you can bring something to the table Mm -hmm. and you're like willing to help them in any way that you can Mm -hmm. they're so 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 thankful even if it's something so little like here's you know here's a dollar here's uh, something that you say we were talking about like if yeah. you just sit down and talk to someone yeah. uh, that goes a long ways I mean how how often do you get to sit down and have an undistracted conversation like this without phones and do a long form two three hour conversation with someone um, let alone if you're in another country trying to get through the cultural barriers mm-hmm. and just have that kind of undistracted interaction with another individual that's the kind of thing that travel yeah really like that I don't know if there's another way that you can truly experience that I don't think so and just how genuine it is too like you meet these people and they're genuinely interested in you your story where you're from where you're going and they're just happy to yeah to see you I think that's one thing the biggest thing I think this trip has taught me is compassion really yeah I went around I don't know I started my journey with this yoga trip, which was the best, or that yoga retreat, which was the best right. way to start it. It just kind of opened up. Uh, All of it. Yeah. Kind of a good, a good starter because it primes you for what you're about to go through. Yeah, exactly. And traveling around, um, I think I was reading a book and it was, it kept talking about compassion, compassion. I was like, I know the word, but I don't know the meaning. And one right. day I was in Colombia and I went to this river, mm-hmm. and it's kind of on the outskirts of the city in Cali. Um, Cali being Cali. a city? Yep. Okay. Um, it's in south, the south of Colombia. Okay. They're known for, that's where, like, salsa is, comes from, like, salsa dancing. dancing. Yes. Okay, nice, nice. Um, the Cali Cartel. The Cali Cartel, <laughs> okay. sure. I did not well, run into them. Good. But, good on uh, you. <laughs> So yeah, on the outskirts um, of the city, you have these people who live like in these little houses just stacked on top of each other in the mountains. Like the favelas. Yeah, like the favelas. It's equivalent to that in Colombia. Okay. And um, I just went for a walk one day and I went out to the river and you just see all these people and they're just having the best of times. They come down from this little mountain and they're bathing in the water. They have nothing, right. but they're just so happy, and they're just joking around, and they would all come up to me and talk to me and offer anything that they had, right. their food, everything. And I don't know. You just look at it, and it just, I don't know. It just made me happy and appreciative. And Did you feel and, like they were displaying true compassion to you yes compassion to me and I guess for them because instead of like some people would see that and they would be sad and show pity towards them yes instead of having pity it's I don't know you just your heart just opens up and you feel compassion I don't know how else to describe it no I hear you there was um I had a similar experience when I was down in Rwanda one time where this I was at like this market and we were the group that I was with they chose like three or four kids out of this group and they were 
buying them like five different outfits each and all these school supplies. So they were going in with the locals to barter and make sure that they were they were swagged out for the school year. And they were only spending like a hundred bucks on each kid, but still it was it said mm-hmm. a lot to these kids, you know, that's huge for them to have like some brand new clothes. Yeah. And so I had probably an hour and a half of downtime while they're shopping and I have this big camera, seventy to two hundred Tamron, which is like a big lens. And it's it's not low-key at all. And I'm just, like, sitting... I'm perched up on, like, the third floor of this market. Just people watching. And I'm, like, snapping some shots. Like, ooh, there's a really cool interaction. Just cultural candidates. Um, or vignettes is what we call them. Handheld vignettes. And um, this kid comes up to me. And he had so much courage to just come up to me and say, like, Hey, who are you? Like, what are you doing? And at first, I was just like, Oh, this kid's going to try to steal my camera got to kind of like hide it and you know I was I was being um I was like a little prejudiced towards mm-hmm. like who is this guy he's he's up to some shady um but it turned out that he was just like a college student at the university and he was really interested in getting into videography and photography and when I started to realize that he was just literally trying to engage with me on mm-hmm. conversation and learn from me I was like what am I doing? Why do I think that? And in a similar way to what you were, what you were saying, like this guy didn't have much in comparison to what I have and what I'm used to. Um, but instead of feeling like you said, pity or almost sorry for him, mm-hmm. I just saw the smile that he had, which is, I, I pick up on smiles as a photographer. I, I pick up on a true smile. So I don't, I don't want to say quicker than other people, but I can see a true smile and say like, oh, that person's genuinely mm-hmm. happy. And this guy just kept smiling at me. And I was like, dude, all right. I would, at this point, like, just because you are so comfortable with me, if you asked me to, I'd probably give you my camera. It's like two or $3,000 <laughs> worth, but I, like, I love you, man. And it was the same kind of thing. Like, I didn't yeah. want to feel sorry for him. I just wanted to be a part of that and kind of interface with him and, yeah. and, engage in conversation with him and just see what he was all about i still keep in touch with him oh really um, yeah yeah i did we're friends on facebook that's awesome <laughs> always message me it's official. Um, yeah it's official <laughs> but in the same way that like y- y- that kind of thing you have to go to a country that doesn't have a whole lot mm-hmm. and if not you have to go to a part of this country or i mean I, I think you can experience it in your own country but it's a lot different you know, yeah. if we were to go to the ghetto or the slums right now and we were to walk around, people would like think that we're making fun of them and they wouldn't really be as appreciative of us being there mm-hmm. um, because it, it just it's different. You know, when you go to another country and you can convey to people like, hey, I'm new, I'm just I'm trying to learn. Mm-hmm. They usually reciprocate that same energy right back to you. So you were you were on the river. Um, I know I kind of sidetracked there, but. When, when did you do your 10-day? Uh, my silent meditation retreat. For 10 days? Yes. That's, it sounds so insane to me. But I know it's, it's not. I know that it's something kind of like yoga. It's just one of those things yeah. that from the outside, I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> but it's, it's crazy cool. It's not crazy like wacko. It's crazy yeah. like that's badass that you did that. Yeah, that was probably the single best thing I've ever done in my whole life. Honestly, tell the audience Um, a little bit about it. Yeah, so I started my yoga trip or this trip with my yoga retreat in Costa Rica, and then I kind of wrapped up my uh, 
my almost year of traveling in Mexico. Mm-hmm. What part? Uh, Mazunte, southwest Mexico, uh, in Oaxaca State, more towards Guatemala on the Pacific side. Wow. And um, yeah, it's this little community there, and you're basically going to live in this community for 10 days with, there's a bunch of other people there, so you're not by yourself at all. Um, but it is but, like more of a village feel than a city. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And um, how did you come about this? Was it something you had heard of and you researched it and found the location? I knew I wanted to do get more into meditation, and I wanted to learn techniques and how, and just kind of like set myself up basically for it. Um, I had been doing some guided meditations, things like that, but I wanted to kind of dive in. And one day I woke up. And I had to go to Mexico. I don't know what it was. I was just like, I really want to go to Mexico. It was not on my plan at all. It was, I don't know. Just, I woke up and Mexico was calling. I do so, love Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mexico. Okay, continue. That was probably Sorry. my favorite place. Yeah. Anyways. Um, what was I saying? Mm-hmm. Meditation retreat. Yeah. Woke well, up, went to Mexico. So you woke up, you went to Mexico, <laughs> and you... You linked up with uh, people that were doing a 10-day silent meditation retreat almost, right? Yeah. Um, During this silent 10 days, were you doing yoga at the time? Uh, Yes. So this this one incorporated hatha yoga. So it's like the mother of all yogas, basically. So that's like the old school, like what they were doing way back in the day. And then all the yogas kind of branched off of that, where you have vinyasa yoga, shtango yoga, blah, blah, blah. Whoa. Okay, uh, hold on. Let me let me pause real quick. In the yoga community, i got a quick question for yes. you. So we're going to con- get back right back to that point. Okay. I want you to continue that story. But in the yoga community, do you feel like there is some people who are like, oh, you don't yoga as hard as me? I think that... There are people. There are always going to be people like that. Right. I mean, but that's not the yoga philosophy, I right. don't think. Well, I mean, I see it in, like, photography and videography realm a lot. Like, people uh, who are like, oh, I made $700 on a shoot. Like, okay, dude, that's not even that much money for a photo shoot. And they, but they get this, like, egotistic, yes. like, oh, you know, I'm hot shit. And I was wondering, you know, when it comes to, like, yoga instructors, is there some sort of hostility where people kind of puff up their chests in some cases? And they're like, I got the best yoga equipment. I've been in the best retreats. I'm sure there are, but I haven't really come across it myself. Um, Because it is a community. Yeah, exactly. More people are trying to build each other up rather than, you know, trying to make their way up. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's... Well, there's some of the people who they like on Instagram. They become yoga models, yeah, and they're like all about it. And I've unfortunately had a negative experience with a couple of them that are like they're trying to look like really r- r- something they're not. You know, yeah. they put on a face, and I see it a lot. But especially in that realm is probably where it was the most blatantly obvious. To I'm only speaking of like two individuals that were like blatantly obviously trying to compensate for something that they were searching for um and like you meet them in real life and that's a completely different person than what they're posting on their instagram yeah exactly dude what what what? Um, and that's a whole nother podcast i feel like yeah i mean that's probably (laughs) not just just yoga specific that's all over the, the all over the board but anyways i just wanted to see 
Give me your thought on that. So, 10-day retreat. Yeah. What so, were you doing every day? Um, we woke up. We would meditate. And so there was one guy who was heading it all. Mm-hmm. And he had, um, he was like the head honcho. He had put this community together and built this. It's called Radaya. Hmm. Um, community. They have one there and one in France. And then they have like people trained all over the world. Right. Um, but yeah, we woke up, um, meditated, and then we'd have a morning lecture. And then after our morning lecture, we would do some Hatha yoga. So Hatha yoga is more the concept of an immobile body and creates a still mind. So you're holding the poses a lot longer. It's not your typical yoga poses. It's a little different. It's activating different chakras in the body. Um, And kind of preparing the body for meditation. Okay. Um, Then we do a little meditation session before lunch. We'd have a few hour break, uh, do a PM lecture. Then we would have um, a little bit more meditation dinner and then we do Q&A so basically you could you couldn't talk or anything but you could go in and you could write down questions about anything and it was awesome he would go in and answer them and it was like listening to all your favorite podcasts in Mm. one place yeah all the things you're interested in right there so you would cover like a variety of topics yeah so many different things was this guy who you were asking like was he a pretty smart individual or what what exactly what are his qualifications so life experience yeah book smarts street smarts all the above all the above just a wise wise old dude yes he yeah he's very intuitive he's done basically all these meditation retreats he's done his own work to create a path that makes it a little bit more efficient for us to get to where we want to go in terms of meditating so like uh transcending whatever you want to call it opening your third eye is what i want to call it so he he basically like he's yeah he he built a curriculum over the years Mm -hmm. to kind of really get you into this euphoric state over the 10 days exactly so he did these crazy meditation retreats where you literally go into a cave in the middle of nowhere by yourself meditate on death you were in these crazy circumstances and that's what he was trying to bring to the table there so you're going internally without talking you're clearing the chatter every single day we're on our phones we have the radio on we have the tv we have all this negative things that are coming at you the podcast you got the podcast okay well yes (laughs) but you can choose you can choose what you want to listen to yeah listen to people like us we're great exactly (laughs) I think we're talking about good things. And I think so, too. Good vibes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's also good to kind of, you know, shut that off for a little bit and just get in tune with yourself and listen to, mm-hmm. you know, your body, your mind. What's... Yeah. You know, see what's in there. When you, when you get to a place to where it's just you. Yeah. And you don't have your phone or your headphones and... It's kind of like if you're at the beach or if you're out on a hike and you put in headphones, like you're mm-hmm. kind of defeating the purpose because a lot of the the experience of that is so that you can become more in tune with yourself mm-hmm. and see like, what am I really worried about? Because that yeah. kind of stuff comes up. Exactly. I mean, when you have minimal distractions, things start to pop into your head and you're like, oh crap. 
and you start to worry about things. So you're like, mm-hmm. am I really worrying about this? Yeah. And like, this does not affect me or anyone around me. Um, so I would imagine that 10 days probably had a, a significant amount of that. Yeah. There's I, a lot of ups and downs. <clears throat> it's catch 22. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a lot of, it was an emotional roller coaster for sure, but in the best way. Um, you're Did you like, cry? Did I cry? Tears of sadness or jeer or fear, not jeer. I don't. I think I cried. Maybe once. Yeah, we all do it. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, I did. Yes, I did once. Was it like a realization of, wow, this is heavy, or kind of tears of joy? I think happy tears. Yeah, those are the best. Just like grateful. Yeah, grateful is a good Mm -hmm. word. Yeah. So at some point during this 10 days of silence, did it just, did your mind go blank and stop wondering about stuff? At points. Yeah. Again, it's a roller coaster. Yeah, you would go through, you don't know, your mind can just kind of spiral. Right. And it's just becoming aware of where that is coming from. And, I don't know, it makes you appreciate the people in your life, the, the things you do have, and then also, um, you know, just yourself. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing that you've, you've got really that's not changing all around you so yeah yeah no I hear you um okay so after after the 10-day meditation silent meditation which is pretty epic you'd probably recommend it to definitely I would recommend that to anybody anybody and everybody yeah what's the main thing they can expect to come out with if they did that from a general Mm. broad outlook peace of mind Sense I don't know. Of accomplishment. Awareness. I think it's different for every single person. I think best. I think awareness would be awareness. the best thing. Yeah. Um, awareness of your thoughts. Awareness of maybe you come out a little more confused. <laughs> maybe you find clarity. Yeah. Everyone's there for their own reasons. Right. And things come up that maybe they didn't even realize were there. Um, but I think it's good just to kind of sit with yourself. Yeah. That, for a little bit. That kind of ties back to what I was saying about like when you go on hikes and even when we were talking about rock climbing and travel, just when you can get into a challenging situation and you don't have those distractions, the mm-hmm. easy way out, you're faced with those demons that you have to battle. The yeah. skeletons from the closet, they come back to life the and they dark start with the light. coming right back to you. And the more that you face a challenge um, and and really go head on with something that is not easy, whether it's a 10-day meditation trip, a 30-day backpacking trip, um, something that is deliberately challenging you and really pushing your limits, that's where you get to wrestle those demons. And a lot of it's mental and a lot of it's spiritual too. Yeah. And the physical exertion, whether it be a physical pain, um, stress, emotional pain, whatever, that's kind of what brings you to like this like brings you to the battlefield Mm -hmm. you know and then then your demons show up and you're like all right let's do this and um at that point you know it's accepting yeah it's 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 awareness that's a good a good way to put it because um you become more aware of what's going on you Mm -hmm. just and then you can in your everyday life you can you remember those battles you know exactly yeah i can see it on this most recent trip i took um, especially just trying to be more aware of it from right. having conversations like this. 
um, seeing points where you're traveling and you haven't eaten when you usually do, you yeah. haven't slept like you usually do. Right. Um, just being put into stressful scenarios yeah. pretty often and and you feel it taking a toll on not just your body but also your mind. Definitely. And having to step back for a second and say like... Hey, wait, I, getting I to step back. Or Yeah, just getting sorry, to step continue. back because you're not always in the right state of mind to step back in the moment. Yeah. But if you do get the chance to and you step back and you say, this is some like adverse stimulus that I'm not used to, I need to just like remove myself for a second and right. take a few deep breaths and calm down. Um, I think like meditation like you were doing is like a, a, a broadened sense of that taking a step back and taking a deep breath yeah. and centering yourself, grounding yourself and coming back to the reality of the situation. Right. Yeah. Saying, hey, okay, I can deal with this. Like, yeah, I'll just push through for now. I'll I mean, be all right. a lot of the problems that are in our lives that we face in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it's going to be all right. I think yeah. Kenny Chesney just made a song recently. It's like, <laughs> it's going to be all right. And something like that. And it, it hits home because our problems, there are a lot of times these demons that like, we don't even know we're wrestling with. And then once we actually face them, we're like, Oh, I got this. Come on now I can do this. And, a lot of people don't even get to that point where they realize that they've got stuff that they're fighting. That's a lot of terrain. But they don't even realize that they're fighting these these things because it's in their subconscious. Mm-hmm. And the point that we touched on earlier where when you communicate with your subconscious, these kind of things come up where you see, I could probably improve significantly here if I do more discipline here or if I cut this out or that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and like introducing those routines into your life yeah whether it's working out or or joining a rock climbing gym or picking up an instrument or meditating something that takes serious discipline to sit down and and commit to right and and most routinely too although it's not always convenient i'm gonna put the time in and do it yeah it it teaches you those lessons of discipline and commitment and those rise back up in your life later on they do man it's it's one of those things that like when you're going through it you're like why is this happening to me i mean this is a more a a case where like if if your finances are failing or you're the person that you thought you loved is disappearing on you or uh, your car is failing on you or whatever it is you know all these problems start to pile up and you're like why is this happening to me but then a year, two, three, four, even five, ten years down the road, it, it's like, oh, full circle. It all makes sense. That was preparing me for this. Had I not mm-hmm. been able to go through that then, just imagine what would have happened You know, when this happened. I wouldn't be so strong. So the, that's something that's important to remember when, you're, when times get tough. Like They're going to get a lot better, and this is just preparing you for what you're going to have to go through. Um, that's there's there's some quote that i heard today like about you know right before a man or woman um, is about to get an a spiritual appointing or a mission from the heavens um, fate seems to always prepare this individual with brutal like not necessarily i don't want to say torture but in the in the quote is like like intense um 
testing period where it would be like, you know, they'd go into poverty. They All their friends abandoned them. Their love life abandons them. And then when they make it through all that, then they're ready for this true spiritual appointment or this, this mission that they've got to accomplish in their life. And that's the beauty of life, you know. It really, it, all these, these troubles that we go through mm-hmm. kind of prepare us for what we get to or have to face. Yeah, I like to say get to. I see it a lot of times with if I'm trying to write a song. Yeah. And I'll revisit some chords that I had found uh, like a year or two years ago, just something that, oh, that sounds good, and maybe I wrote a couple of lines to it, and yeah. then I just left it to the side. Right. And I'll start thinking about something either I'm going through at the time or I'm going through now, and there's uh, chords will come back to me, and I'll play that and 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 really start like diving deep into that experience. Mm-hmm. It's almost like life will give you things that you're not ready for at the moment. Yeah. Just so that you'll understand it later on when you are yeah. ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes life will give you things that you don't think you're ready for. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, I, yeah, I'm ready for that. Like, in my case, I didn't think I was going to be ready to have a kid. Ashley, and I, granted, I don't have a kid out yet, but Ashley and I said, let's pull the goalie. And in our last podcast episode, we talked a little (laughs) bit about it. So there's a plug for episode four. But we, we talked a little bit about it and, um, we, we were like, let's pull the goalie. And mainly because we, we said, if you wait until you're ready to have a kid, you're never going to have a kid. I feel like that's similar in a lot of things. If you wait until you're ready to go travel, like in your case on this almost year-long trip, if you wait until you're quote-unquote ready, it's going to be a while. Like You're never going to be ready. You have to take that leap of faith and go into the uncomfort zone. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's, it's an important thing. I wish there was a way to convey that without pointing fingers and saying that hopefully we're doing a decent job at it but yeah, <laughs> yeah you gotta... never want to sound pushy when you're saying it but no it is like it's experience based it's life is yeah. like pretty much everything is like life you yeah. have to go out there and and get your feet wet you yeah. don't learn to swim unless somebody pushes you in the water right right yeah. and it's one of those things that like when you do it Oh, that's what they were talking about. And you almost have like an instant communication when you meet people and you can pick up like, oh, this person's been through a lot. There's cases like when I was saying in San Francisco as a 14-year-old, I was like, I know what you've been through. And the guy was like, shut up, kid. But there's there's plenty of times as you get older where you realize, where you realize these individuals that you meet They've all, the fact that they've made it to this point in their life, I mean, there's no way, even if they're spoiled and have been living a comfortable life, there's no way that they would make it to this point without having had some adversity in their life, especially when you're like 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have gone through all sorts of deaths and trauma and divorce and that kind of thing. So when you're like 40, you just, it's kind of a mutual understanding with other 40-year-olds. You're like, dude, you made it this far. <laughs> We've both been through some shit. Yeah, it's just so, how yeah. you, I don't know, learn from it. Yeah, yeah. And all those people that came into your life, it's for a reason. It's it is, to yeah. teach you something and vice versa. It's I a agree. mutual yeah. exchange. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a give and a take with the like interactions you have with, I think uh, that's what, growing up with brothers taught me is 
like you take a piece of each other whenever you you're when you're away from each other or you're with each other you, you especially notice it yeah yeah I, i've had it pointed out to me recently um my girlfriend has spent a lot of time around uh cole and noah and i yeah um and she's always like this is where you get that from yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and really it's your parents you get it from but you guys have like been so interactive your whole lives yeah. so it's just all three of you have it it's it's not like we're we're not all the same but we have shared personality traits right. and then i saw it again on this trip to chile yeah um just uh mary and i like to go into like deep conversations about this kind of stuff and and she was saying, just traveling with my grandpa, she was like, I see where you get these things from. <laughs> these tendencies of yours. <laughs> but it's not just family. It's it's like your friends, the people you spend yourself. time around, the, yeah, the yeah, experiences yeah. you're exposed to. You you grow from these experiences and you and you become the person you are because of what you do. Right. Yeah. I, I agree on, I mean, all that. I'm the oldest of three brothers, so... And I have two stepbrothers too, so we there's a lot of things that we like for like did you just say that I just that was something that I said and i I think one of the craziest realizations that I've come to and this was I learned it in biology back in high school and my my like junior year of college about like in DNA there are things that are inherently passed to you that like you could have never met your parents, but there's still some things that they did that you'll do. And you could have never met them in your life. It's almost like there's a good example is um, there was this research project done where um, there was chickens that had been raised for three generations, never going outside, right? So everything for three generations of chickens, they lived inside. Um, but they did this experiment where they they put a shadow of a triangle on the ground of their their big coop or their pen or whatever. The shadow of the triangle, nothing happened. Shadow of a circle, nothing happened. Chickens are acting normal. Shadow of a square, nothing happened. But they said, hey, let's silhouette a, uh, a shadow of a hawk flying. And these, these chickens that have been living like inside for three years, as soon as they put that silhouette of a hawk on the ground, these chickens freaked out. And they were just running like chickens with their head cut off. They were just sprinting and trying to evade this... Because they knew it's inherently, they knew there's a predator that's gonna kill us. Uh, we gotta run and hide. So why can't, why is it any different with people? You know, there's there's gotta be that that crazy little minute thing that you do that was passed down from three generations ago, yeah. and it doesn't make sense. But then four or five, fifteen years down the road, you're like, oh my god, they were looking out for me. They were they were trying to help me in some ways. This is part of who I am. I think it's amazing. But yeah, it's it's like how a lot of people say you become your parents as you get older. Yeah. You start picking up their habits, and it's not on accident. It's not something that just happened. It's like these are probably things that are coded into your DNA that you're not aware of until you are exposed to certain things or different right. adversity or experience. It makes yeah. you think, though, like are we, are we encoding things into our DNA as we live? So... If I learn how to play guitar and I become very musically gifted um, with singing and playing guitar and then playing ambidextrous, like playing left-handed and right-handed, um, these skills, will I be able to pass it off to my offspring through my DNA? Mm. Could I never, ever, ever, ever play guitar in front of my son that's coming 
and would he know how to pick up a guitar and understand rhythm and singing and all that? I mean, that's it makes you think, you know, mm-hmm. am I developing these skills to pass on? Like, mm-hmm. how does all that work, you know? It's, some, it's encoded in you somehow. Cause yeah. There's been, like, I put down a guitar and I'll touch it for a month or two and you pick it up and you still have right it. Right back at it's, it, man. It's in you somewhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm no Evolving. chemist, but it's got to be. <laughs> I, I would speculate to say it's probably right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try to so, put my money on it. That's yeah, I'd, I'd probably put my money in that pot. So, Nikki, on this trip, um, 11 months being out of the country. Uh, I mean, 11 months being in in other cultures, surrounded with, I mean, I'm assuming you didn't pack too heavy. You probably had a backpack and a suitcase, right? Maybe. No just suitcase, a just a backpack. So just a backpack for 11 months. Um, you definitely get an opportunity to shed the materialism that comes with our culture and that yeah. experience. Um, coming back to the States, what was the first couple of days of that like? Like, what were the biggest things that you noticed? Um, things that you were like, are you serious? Almost that kind of take you off and you made you kind of like, well, here I am, back to the real world. Yeah. What, were, what was that like? That what was, to be honest, I kind of was in my own little bubble for a little bit when I got back. I didn't yeah. really venture out too far. I was just kind of with friends and family. Right. But yeah, the first thing was when I got off the plane and I was, I just started, started bawling. Really? I got a culture shock to come home. Here not in to leave. Yeah, not to leave. I could go all the places and was happy and fine. And But it's when you got here. Yeah, as soon as I got back, I just, yeah. People, like, I was coming back in the, in the gates. And right. I was coming from Mexico. And the people at the airport were just so mean. I was on a plane huh. with a bunch of Mexicans. And they were questioning them, yelling at them. They wow. were... Yeah, just so mean, and um, I don't know, I went to all these places, and I was welcomed with a smile when I got off the plane, and people were trying to ask me, you know, in their language, yes, yeah, but, you know, yeah. if I needed help, where I needed to, like, just trying to help me, and then I come here, and people are just, like, screaming and yelling, and I, my bag fell off the um, security thing, it was about to go through to get checked um, through customs, and it fell off on the other side, on the security side. Right. And there was an older lady, and she couldn't pick, she was trying to bend down to pick up my bag, and she couldn't. I was like, oh, like, don't worry about it. Like, I reached over to, like, pick it up, and she just started screaming at me. Whoa. And she's like, don't you ever do that again, blah, blah. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'm not in Latin America anymore. No, I guess but, not. You um, must but, be in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's definitely a culture shock coming back, and just yeah. it's so easy to get sucked back into, like, consumerism and all the things that we take for granted here and yeah yeah it just becomes habit once you're surrounded by it it's yeah I see myself kind of getting caught back in it it's just kind of getting back to that um what are the things like the biggest takeaways to kind of avoid that when you come back to the country or like do you wake up and meditate or do you wake up and count 10 things you're thankful for what what do you do that kind of helps keep you in that mindset I think yeah you just have to find something that works for you for me it's yoga and meditation and even when traveling and here someone's like how do you do that all the time like you know going to all these places like I like my routine I like this I like having all these things but for me it's um yeah yoga and meditation is my that's my kind of yeah 
my root um, that keeps me going and centers me, brings me back and gets you to realize the important things, not the things that we think we need or want. Right. Yeah, guess, it's, it's always easy sense. to forget that because materialism is so, so heavily pushed on us from all different it's sorts. Everywhere. Of, it's everywhere. I mean, it's on your phone. You have it, you know, popping up everywhere. You have ads, commercials. It's everywhere. Marketing. You, it's all around you with people, you know, the whatever the thing yeah. is with the Joneses. I don't know that saying. Keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. But really, I mean, that's like when you go and you embrace, or not embrace, but you you surround yourself in the natural world and you interact yeah. with the natural world, whether it be exactly. going on a hike in the backwoods or backcountry or going fishing, hunting, kayaking, canoeing walking anything that just gets you outdoors and away from these distractions it kind of brings you back to the simpler things and helps you open up your third eye Mm -hmm. and if you can't travel that's a good way to like if you don't have the money to go to europe and do these crazy adventures then just find a park leave your phone in the car and just go for an hour or two and don't put headphones in just listen to what's out there it's nope. a it's I, like a good first step, you know. I think that's an awesome first step. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, that's that's one of the things that I like to do. You asked about nature photography. Sometime I'll just take my dog out and go walk through the woods, and uh, I won't bring my phone or anything, but I will bring my camera. And most times I don't even take a picture with it, but it's just in case I see a buck or like an owl or something really cool that I want to photograph. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have it and not use it than, you know, really want it and not have it. But there's been, if you've ever, what's that movie called where the guy is on the time, Walter Mitty? Have you guys ever seen that? Uh, Secret Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, in, in that movie, there's a scene where there's this nature photographer and he's trying to shoot a, uh, a snow leopard. And at one point he's been waiting for months on this mountaintop to shoot this snow leopard. And it finally ventures out of his cave and he's looking at it through the viewfinder of his camera and he drops the camera and just watches it. And he just starts, he comes to tears in his eyes and the other guy, Walter Mitty's like, what are you doing? Take this photograph. You've been waiting for months and months. Why don't you take the photograph? And he's just completely tuned him out. And he's just locked on this, this snow leopard and watching it. And he's like, this is too beautiful mm-hmm. to either, one, ruin with a, with a camera or to try to encompass all these feelings with a shot. It's not, yeah. it doesn't do it justice. I'm not going to ruin this moment or try to, uh, you know, sum it up in a photo because that's not fair to this to Enjoy to this the moment. moment. Enjoy the present. It's, I think that that's a true dynamic that a, a real professional photographer deals with, um, whether it be working with people or, or the natural world. That's, to me, the biggest dynamic of a photographer that's like a struggle because there's so many things you want to be in that moment and mm-hmm. enjoy the moment but you're getting paid to photograph it and yeah. uh, when it's a good balance of it where you can enjoy it and photograph it that's a sweet spot but yeah. that's balance, it. that is the key it is moderation is very important yeah and this is test two of our ad space on um uh, 
you know, the Marvel monologues. So right now I want to make a quick ad, quick shout out to uh, I am Lil Smokey. It's my dog and he has an Instagram. So if you have an Instagram account, make sure you go to the search bar, go to the page where it says search, it's not too tough, and type in at I am Lil Smokey. Now when you get to the page, you'll see this crazy little cattle dog. Don't forget to hit the follow button. This podcast episode is brought to you by I am Lil Smokey. So please uh, go check them out. And we're back. All right. Okay, so we were talking just a second ago about um, that dynamic with wanting to take a picture but also wanting to experience it and how sometimes a camera or that distraction, it can act as a distraction, can kind of come in between that. One place where I've seen this a lot is if I'm shooting concerts. And it's not just at concerts, but if I'm shooting a concert and I see so many phones, people just filming. And it's like, you're never going to use that. It's so obnoxious to me when people are just filming everything. And it's something, it's always when they're having fun, they want to, and I say they, but it's basically generation... Uh, Z, which is people born 1995 and after, um, and some millennials, but mainly in Generation Z, these people are kids, I would say, but they're now growing into young adults that they want to film when they're having fun, and then they post it on either their Snapchat or their Instagram story, which to an extent to that, I think we all do, um, but some people, they deliberately do it for the wrong reasons. They want to make sure that other people see what they're doing, and they, they put out little scenes of their life or their movie and they, it's like a little highlight reel mm-hmm. oh check it out I'm at the Lil Wayne concert the next day oh check it out I got my Gucci bag oh check it out I'm going to the mall shopping spending some money but that's so ridiculous I think that 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 mindset because it is a mindset that mindset will lead you straight to unhappiness and unfulfillment in your life yeah, and it's it's hard to live in the moment when you have a, a phone out or, or any sort of even a camera sometimes it it they all have their own way of of removing yourself, but it's not always a bad thing. Like uh if you're traveling and you're traveling with a camera and and you wanna take pictures to remember, a lot of times having a camera with you can give you that keen eye to okay. look out for certain colors or, or a beautiful moment or a landscape and it, it gives you the encouragement to find things that you may not have been looking for had you not had the camera. Yeah. So it's it's a lot about knowing the time and the place and when to use it. Like, do I really need to take a video of my favorite artist singing my favorite song? Or can I dance that I to sing it? in the car ten thousand times? Yeah. Or should I just dance to it and vibe out with my friends and and have a good time listening to it and, and have that as a memory rather than playing back the video that isn't going to give you the same feedback or yeah. the same reaction as being there in the moment while it's happening. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I, I just, that was one of the things that, like, it was so, that's where I saw it the most. Uh, by the way, to our audience, that was Jack speaking. Jack and Cole switched spots. <laughs> so now you'll hear Jack on my left, but... Houdini. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think this podcast is surround, so it's not going to sound like you're to a left or a right. Um, but it might. So anyways, no. Cole, go ahead and say your name. Cole. Okay, <laughs> so he's over there. Jack, go ahead and say your name. 
Jack. All right, and Nikki, let's hear yours. It's Nikki. All right, so you can hear where everyone is. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear Enzo's. Like I don't know if it works like that either, but... Enzo's snoring under the table. Right? Yeah, you'll hear Enzo, the dog, snoring under the table here in a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's so... It's a weird balance. Yeah, but I love how you put that, Jack, because, I don't know, that's a whole different perspective than... I don't know, I never thought of it like that. And especially traveling and half the time I didn't even have a phone or anything to take pictures of or with it was nice to be able to enjoy the moment because you see everyone trying to take the perfect picture and trying to get the selfie and they're just doing these things basically to check it off their list and when I was able to kind of just be there and enjoy it to the fullest but I mean hearing it like that it's also I don't know you can use those things as a tool instead of um I guess it's the intent behind it. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like it's so. Uh, I'm glad you said that. The idea hit me when uh, Cole and I were actually together with some friends traveling through uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And long story short, we got trapped on a beach at high tide and had to run through the water. And and my phone bit the dust on the oh, no. on the journey bit, back bit the water. the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bit the water. <laughs> Or the water bit it. Water so bit the phone. It was only on like the second or third day of a like week and a half, two week trip. So for the rest of the trip, I had no means of taking pictures or communicating. And poor you. And at first, it was like a inconvenience. It was an inconvenience at first because I would get to a place and see, oh, I'd love to show people when I get home this picture. Um, but after a day or two, I. It allowed me to take a step back and see that, yeah, having pictures would be nice, but that's why you travel with people who carry uh, cameras with them. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed a lot of people have been asking me to go on trips with me and stuff and go do things with me because they know I'm going to take pictures of them. I'm like, no, I don't even like you. I'm not going to go do this with you. Yeah. Uh, it- it's like you like to have your own pictures and your own perspective of what you saw because you remember taking that picture and, mm-hmm. and what you saw in it before you clicked right. the button to take it. Yeah. But yeah. It, it was. it's also nice to just take a step back and not have to think about who am I going to show this to, what's it going to look like, yeah. and just really take a few deep breaths in and, and remember what it was like to be there. Yeah, yeah, I've... I've um... I bought this camera, it's a Leica camera, and I bought it simply for when I'm traveling because it's so it's got a nice grippy feel to it. It's a really nice camera, but it's just a basic point and shoot. And I I mean I have tons of camera gear that I I could take an incredible shot with, but if I have this tiny little Leica camera, it feels like I'm 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 getting into the photography for the right reason and I'm not to me, it it's kind of tough because if I shoot with the camera, this one right here, that I do like the majority of my work on, and I'm on vacation and I take a picture with this, I'll subconsciously start to feel like I'm working, even though it's the nicest mm-hmm. camera I have, and I know I can get a better shot with this than pretty much anyone with any camera. I'm very confident with the skills that I have on this camera, but having a camera that's um, just kind of a fun camera it it helps me stay more in the moment 
um, rather than you know really well, it's making you think outside the box too right because yeah it doesn't have all the capabilities that you're right but i still want to camera has. i still want to produce the same quality content yeah. so you got to think a little bit outside the box like you were right. saying um, that's how i filmed when i went to mexico on our honeymoon i got to swim with a whale shark Oh, how um, cool. No it liger. was so cool. No, it wasn't a, it wasn't a liger, a liger shark. Uh, but it was a whale shark, and it was very big animals. But I bought this camera, this Leica, and this um, underwater housing for that reason. Like, I didn't bring any of my nice camera equipment down there. I brought this Leica and this little... I had a Samsung camera, an NX300. It was a mirrorless camera. So those were the only two cameras I brought. I didn't bring any of my professional equipment. Um, but I, I realized, like, I started falling back in love with photography because I was shooting with different cameras. And I was doing it for the right reasons, not mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to show all these pictures to everyone else. I ended up taking some really cool shots. But I wasn't doing it for the Insta fame or, you know, putting it out there to get likes. I was doing it because I wanted to have digital memories for my wife and I to look back on in 20 years and be like, oh, you remember this? You remember when we went to that restaurant? You remember when we saw this? And um, it, it's that's the kind of photography I like doing. And I, I usually do that on my trips, like when I'm on vacation and stuff. Mm -hmm. I I, I I have this expensive habit where I try to buy new gear um, just so I can get that little high of figuring out, you know, what, how does this camera work? How does this lens manipulate a shot? Um, it's the same way with guitars. Like it is. If yeah. I walk into Guitar Center and pick up that thousand dollars Strat, that Taylor, it's like, oh, I bet I could play so much on this thing. Right. And then yeah. I sit down and play it for five minutes, and I have this this strat squire sitting next to me that i bought off a friend for 20 bucks and i'm not good enough to hear the difference if there <laughs> is any difference in that thousand dollar strat and it, it grounds me and it yeah. reminds me that like anything that's coming out anything i'm producing is is what i put into it yeah you know i've got a uh i've got a martin guitar which is they're pretty expensive I've got a Washburn guitar. Um, it's an acoustic that I actually got when my grandfather died, so it had that sentimental value. But again, on the more expensive side. And I've got a uh, Ibanez Artcore guitar, an electric, and it's a little bit, not an expensive electric, but more expensive. And then I've got this $25 classical guitar that I bought on Craigslist in Portland, Oregon. I bought it for $25 from these like Hispanic guys. It was sitting in their garage. It was just trash and I was like yep I'll take it and um, put new strings on it and to this day I've played that guitar more than any of the other guitars combined and I it's I don't know it's it's one of those things that you couldn't put a price tag on it I would never sell it I'd sell two of the four of my other guitars but um, okay maybe one of the four but mm -hmm. never will I get rid of this I or this uh, little no-name brand that's how this Squire Strat is. It's the I learned acoustic on my roommate's guitar for probably six months before my cousins gave me one of theirs to learn on. Right. And that one is the acoustic I play on all the time. I'd probably never sell that. But when I decided to get into electric, I got this Squire Strat here for twenty bucks. 
or it was a friend who had just bought like two new electric guitars and nice. he just offloaded it on me and gave me a deal because he's Sweet. a good guy. Yeah. And uh, and started playing that and it's got a crack in the neck so it doesn't stay tuned for as long as it should. <laughs> but I nice. I don't think I would give it up for anything because I've no. poured so many hours and so many feelings and emotions yeah. into it. It's like and you can get that neck replaced for fifty bucks or so. You can buy yeah, yeah. the the cool things about strats. Um, is it there, you can buy, like, all the parts that you see on that guitar are interchangeable, and you can order them on Amazon or eBay, um, all the new hardware, it's, it's like, such a well-known guitar that you can order anything for it. You want a new neck? 30 bucks on Amazon. Mm. You want to chill out, dog. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many things. I've, because I'm into woodworking, and I do, like, walking sticks, and I want to make a cool slab table like this uh, there's a couple of ideas i've got but one thing that keeps coming back in my mind is i gotta make a guitar i gotta make my first guitar and i know that once i make one i'm gonna fall in love with it and i'm gonna oh, figure yeah. out i'm gonna become obsessed and like what makes it sound like this how do i make it sound better um and then i'll probably start actually really like making guitars but i, I want to make a guitar I'm going to make a guitar, I should you say. You make me a guitar. I'll pick up guitar. Well, how about how about I'll, I'll, I'll buy a guitar on Craigslist for $25, uh-huh. and I'll paint it for you. And I'll be like, look, I put your name on it. I made it. Mm-hmm. And then you can give him a guitar. Deal. You got Cole and, well, you don't play guitar, Cole, but Jack will give you lessons. Actually, I'm looking for a bass player if you'd rather pick up bass. Cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Join the band. Can uh, I deal stand for bass? Yeah, that'll work. Okay. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I can make you a bass. I'll figure one out on Craigslist or something. I don't think they're too expensive. Nah, same as guitar. Just the top four strings, right? Right, I think so. (laughs) Uh, But, hey, you you said you did an open mic at Jack Beagle's. It's a local bar, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What songs did you play? Were they covers or songs Um, from the heart? Yeah, I kind of went up there. first. So a couple days going into it, I was stressing out about it a little bit because I'd never been in front of a crowd like that before. Right. Um, so the day before... And I, it is a casual crowd. Make oh, sure they know. Casual. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a crowd at all, so to speak. It's mostly people drinking beer and hanging out with their friends and there happens to be an open mic there. But yeah. um, I invited some friends and Cole invited some friends, so we had a group coming to watch. And um, I was just a little nervous because I'd never been in front of a crowd to to really do anything and especially to sing and play guitar at the same time yeah it's big um so anyways got up there and uh, my plan was to play a few covers and i played have you ever seen the rain by credence clearwater revival first yeah just to get the nerves out it's one of the first songs i'd ever learned and i knew i would have that one down pat and didn't really have a plan on where to go after that but i decided to play an original song i'd written after that nice um, played that one and went ahead and played a third song by the Donkeys um, called Excelsior Lady. It's an awesome song. Yeah. Uh, if you've never heard it, look it up. Okay. But um, yeah, it was it was really freeing to be up there and then to come off stage and see like all of my friends standing down there congratulating yeah. me and get a drink of me beer hugs, with them, touches. Yeah, let me buy you a beer. Like, yeah, that's awesome. It, it's it's a huge adrenaline rush and Something a couple of years ago, I probably wouldn't have put myself out there to do. Yeah. But um, 
and and like we were saying earlier, if you like sometimes you don't feel like you're ready to get into something and I definitely didn't feel like I was ready to perform in front of people even though I've been playing guitar for like two years. Yeah. Um, but it it came down to it and I just had been talking about it for like six months. So I just started telling people, Hey, this Wednesday I'm going out and I'm playing the open mic on Wednesday, come watch me. Yeah. And and of course my friends were like, Yeah, yeah. For they sure. actually I'll took you up you. on it, yeah. <laughs> so I like locked myself into it and very glad I did. It was a like not just a mind expanding experience, but also like a like a growth experience. Right, and personal growth because it gives you that confidence and shows you, oh, I can do this again. Like that wasn't too tough. I mean, it's it's really the psych that build you build yourself up before you get there, and you're like, oh, well, this I'm just doing what I love and what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Would you, if uh, money was out of the picture and you could be a rock star? And you could have your own band and be a, a songwriter, singer-songwriter. Would you do it as a career? Man, I think about it every day. Oh, what? <laughs> Me too, man. I dream about it. Let's start I, a band. I, I sit at work, <laughs> and when I get bored at work, whatever like song I've been listening to or working on the day before, I'll just sit there and write lyrics on my notepad. It's amazing, man. I'll You're come home it. and like record stuff or try to figure out some chords to it. It's uh, yeah, that's definitely my dream to do something like that. I'd say pursue it, man. So it, Enzo, breathe, buddy. <laughs> Earlier we talked about uh speaking things into existence. So, um, if if you if you said this is your dream, yeah, let's let's kind of uh, you know, uh, well, you're recording. This is gonna go. This is gonna go public. So state your dream, and you're you don't have to be specific, but throw it out into the world so people can hold you accountable to it years down the road. Yeah, my dream is to... State your first and last name. Come on, be proper with it. (laughs) My name is Jack Liesnitzer, and my dream is to be self-sufficient in the music that I make and write and record Mm. and perform. Nice. All right, so... I just got the chills. Yeah. That just hit, That's right here. Yeah. I hope it does. Mm. It should give you the chills, too. That's a good feeling. There's that quote out there, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. So I hope that dream scares you a little bit. It does. Sometimes, like when I'm watching the live concert, right? I'll just imagine what it would be like to be on stage up there. And yeah. Some some crowds get very big. They get pretty <laughs> big, man. I I went to a concert where John Mayer, he's one of my favorite mm-hmm. guitar players, um, that's still alive and active. But John Mayer. He packed the Gorge out in Washington State, wow, which is a cool. huge venue, and he packed it full, and he crushed it. He had, like, a drummer. He had, he had a small five-man band or something, four- or five-man band, but it was mainly him, and he crushed it. He he didn't really need the band. He could have just sat there and played. Obviously, the band helps, um, but I, I had that same feeling where I was like, I cannot even imagine what this guy is like what there there are so many people here and granted it was it was dark like you couldn't see all these these people in the crowd but there were a lot of people out there and i can only imagine that the pressure and the stress that would come with that but 
also all those people are paying money so there'd be some a good <laughs> paycheck at the end of each concert which would probably make it somewhat worth it right yeah and um, but that's not why you do it no no it's that a byproduct of it yeah if i could just write like an album and go out and play some some venues for five people to listen to i'd be down to do that yeah no, that's awesome getting out there and doing it is what i love to do i met this uh country singer songwriter one time named chris lane and um he's he's pretty big he did a i've heard of him yeah probably yeah, i guarantee anyone that listens to country has probably heard a couple of his songs he did a song with uh tori i don't know she's very talented um take back home girl like, you take back home, 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 girl. You guys ever heard that? Mm, I'm not that well-versed in country music. Oh, well, all right. Anyways, Chris Lane, I, I got a chance to kind of pick his brain on it. And I was like, yeah, man, I play some Spanish guitar. And he's like, dude, I am so glad I took the first step. And we got a chance to kind of briefly talk about it. Sometime I'll maybe convince him to come on the podcast and tell me about his... Uh, his career but I I really what I got out of the conversation was that like he just he loved it so much and he took a step and just kept taking steps kept kept doing first you know mm-hmm. things that he was like I've never done that before and do it and then do it and do it and do it and he was just the way he was describing it was like yeah your career just kind of follows your passion and the more that you say, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to accomplish this, it, it really just follows it. It was cool to talk to him. It was very brief, a brief conversation, and um, it was at, like, a golf tournament that Thomas Davis had put on, and I was just kind of filming, and it was cool to get a chance to meet someone like that and pick his brain. Um, I would imagine that there's a lot of stress that comes with being on the road, but also that it would free you up in a lot of ways to where, I mean, you're following your passion and doing what you love. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that will be cool, man, when you accomplish that. I will come to your concert and photograph it, and then we'll record a podcast afterwards. Yeah, Sound good? That will bring it full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. <laughs> we'll, all be, we'll all be there at your concert, too. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, so keep pursuing, you know, playing in front of people because it'll get easier every time. Yeah, it has. I'm, so I've, I went back a few weeks later after that first time. Um, actually, took a buddy of mine, John, out for his first time playing in front of people. Yeah? So the um, first time was just you and just a guitar. Just myself, yeah. That's awesome. Just myself and the guitar. And then I brought my buddy John out with me, and we played a four-song set just at an open mic, same place, Jack Beagles. And, uh, and kind of just talking to him about what he was feeling before we went out there. Right. I I didn't want to like say anything and take anything away from his first time. Right. So, but I was listening to him talk about what he was feeling and and thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Before I went out there the first time. Yeah. So I went out there with him and we played on stage and had a blast and like we're still talking about it. And we're yeah. like we're going back out tomorrow actually. Oh really? Yeah. We're at. Uh, same place, Jack, Jack Beagles. Beagles. Well, uh, this podcast won't go out for a couple of days, but hey, go check out Jack and Jack Beagles. Hey, Wednesday, nights. <laughs> Wednesday nights, I'll be there. I go by the name of Dean Flannel. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. That That's a name that could stick. Right? Dean Flannel. Very fitting. Nice. Um, all right, well, that's that's a good goal, man. So we'll, us, we'll keep you accountable. Uh, us three will keep you accountable as well as Enzo over there. And uh, anyone that listens to the podcast and knows you, they'll, 
They'll definitely ask. So do you have a SoundCloud? Is any of your stuff on iTunes? You're recording an album, anything like that, actively? Um, working on writing an album right now, but haven't yeah. recorded or released anything yet. Cool. I've been, side note, I've been thinking about releasing just an album of, um, like, fiber-string guitar, Mexican guitar type of thing. Nothing, mm -hmm. no singing over it, but um, just acoustic. I don't know how well that would do, but I wouldn't really do it for the money or anything I would mainly do it just so I can have it and have my own songs to listen to and then kind of build on them down mm -hmm. the road yeah that's so. that's an encouragement for me and in, in that sense is I would like to record and produce and release the album not so much to like see how it does and, and just see who listens it. to it but I'm thinking like years down the road if if my kids can pull like a CD out of like yeah. a cabinet and be like this, this was you, you Dean Flannel. Dean Flannel? <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. No, that's, that's part of the reason I do this podcast. I, I do not ever expect to make a dollar out of this. My dog does not pay me for those ads. He does not sponsor <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> what? He does. But, um, but this, this podcast, it's something that just having long-form discussion like this, yeah. it's something that's, whether you're recording it or not, it's kind of rare nowadays, um, especially as you get older, your time kind of flies out the window. So this was a good way to, one, be able to keep in touch with my friends, mm -hmm. um, people that I enjoyed picking their brains and spending time with. This kind of gives an excuse or justification to like, hey, let's just sit down and have a, a good conversation. And you're also opening uh, the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I'll be able to look back to as well in 20 years or so, hopefully. Um, knock on wood there. But hopefully, you know, way down the road, I can still look back and be like, oh, that was such a cool time. I remember all these podcasts have happened in different places. There's, There's been two episodes that have been recorded in the same place, and um, I doubt there will be any more recorded at that place. So it's it's like, uh, <laughs> that sounds crazy, but it's not. I, I, like, I like doing it remote, though, at different places, um, because every time it's, it's an experience like this that we, we kind of all share memories and, and share thoughts on topics and just go down the rabbit hole. Uh, but it's always something that I, like, I'll always cherish. So I want you guys to know that I will cherish this, this uh, podcast oh, for a while. This was fun. Yeah. It was a lot so of fun. fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks yeah. for thanks for being down. So before we wrap up, let's go around and kind of um I mean we we talked about a lot this this conversation. So we can each we'll state our first and last name. We'll start with you and work around this way and I'll end I'll end it and close this out. Um but we'll let's state our first and last name. Um one thing you're thankful for highlight of the day and you can't say the podcast no let's do a highlight of highlight of 2018 because we talked about 2018 a lot oh, in this man, podcast so first last name mm -hmm. highlight of 2018 um something you're going to actively pursue in 2019 um and then is there anything else you guys think we should add or just so that we can remember that right good old salutations yeah you know to kind of give and oh and if uh if you want if you want the the listeners of this podcast to be able to find you, whether it's on Instagram, SoundCloud, uh, just come here and meet up with you, add you on Facebook, mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, you can kind of plug too. So, 
Go ahead. You start and speak. Enunciate. <laughs> yeah, my name is Jack Leesman, sir. I already forgot what we were supposed to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what are you thankful for? Yeah, no, the 2018. Oh, Highlight of 2018. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, you can, thankful is something you can, and then what you actively want to pursue in 2019. My name is Jack Leesman, sir. I'm thankful for the experiences I had in 2018 to help me grow and help me become a more mature and, and thoughtful person. I'm thankful for the people I spent 2018 with because uh, it definitely wouldn't have been the same year without them. Um, and going into 2019, I'm looking forward to um, just pursuing some new ideas, um, both in, in music and, and I want to start learning how to build houses and one day start building communities. Um, mm. So that's that's my goal for 2019. Nice. Cool. To build a community in houses, or learn how at least. Yeah, start, Words start out small. Of my mouth that <laughs> one. Well said. Well, you got to come up with something new. Yeah. Come on. Uh, my name's Cole Lee Spencer. Uh, I'm thankful for a lot. Uh, personally, the places I've been in my mind, I've been in some dark places in myself in 2018 and I think a lot of the people around me have helped me like elevate out of that but I've also uh, dealt with like personal problems that have taught me a lot of different things um what was the next thing 2019 2019 I want to work on turning my technical skills and applying those into something that I'm more passionate about. So yeah, I, I love the people I work with now, but I'm ready to take everything I've learned and and pursue something that I'm very passionate about and see like the next level of what I can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, man. I'm oh, at gee, that man. tipping point where you have to bigger and better. It's biting at your heels, and you got to go. Yeah, you can only stay there for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. And do you want to, do either of you guys want to plug? Um, plug. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> really just on Instagram, at Jack Lee Snitzer. Don't forget to follow I Am Little Smokey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Nikki? Are you done? Uh, I'm Nikki Seward, and... Whew. 2018 uh, I'm just grateful for everything in my life that led me up to 2018 I feel like everything happened for a reason to lead me there and the people I came across the experience I had in general were incredible and I know it's only going to get better um, I guess a big highlight would would be I mean, we talked about it already, my meditation retreat. Um, it just kind of opened up my eyes to this whole other side of spirituality and myself. And I've come to a point where it's almost like my duty to kind of explore that. I've seen too much. And um, yeah, that's what I want to continue on in 2019 and building my life into that instead of that just being a part of it, I guess. 
and um, yeah, starting to lay the groundwork for I want to open up a nonprofit. Sweet. Yeah, teaching yoga and meditation to kids. Um, make a more holistic approach to education. Um, how we can listen to our bodies, ourselves, how to breathe, uh, deal with our emotions, things that we are not necessarily taught. Um, yeah, for let's see what the future holds. Cool. Mm-hmm. You want to plug? Uh, I don't really have anything too much up on tuned. social media. Uh, if you want to follow me, Wanderlust for Wine on Instagram. Um, Gosh, everyone's about the gram. Uh, Nikki Seward on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do some yoga. <laughs> Softball. Uh, <laughs> yeah, careful. You'll get a bunch of uh, a bunch of random friend requests. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. Um, I'm always welcoming new friends, new faces. But yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Or if Uh, people want to help you with the uh, nonprofit. Yeah, that would be awesome. Got a lot of passionate friends and a lot of people who are in that space. Yeah, I'm just starting to build the groundwork for that, do the research, um, just kind of getting it going and getting building myself up. I got it. Same time. Before before I go on and do this um i got a quick question for you you're nikki seward your last name seward did your relatives like how alaska isn't there yes. a town called seward seward, seward alaska. alaska yeah run me um, through that real quick so my great 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 uncle william h seward he was the secretary of state for abraham lincoln okay and um he kind of I don't know if, I don't want to say discovered Alaska, but, um, that's he a went bold out statement. and, yeah, that's a bold, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I mean, for the U S government, yeah. um, Napoleon was going to buy it, uh, for Russia and he decided to swoop in buy Alaska for the U S government. And that's where Seward's folly came in. Everyone thought it was the biggest, I don't know, like a waste silly, of money. Right. Yeah. Um, Jeez, I'm glad he bought it. It's yeah. the most incredible state that I I've been to. I haven't been. I want to go so bad. Oh, I've you seen your it pictures. To Alaska is incredible. Oh, oh, I love yeah. it so much. It's on the list. I want to see the northern lights and all that good stuff there. But, um, They're so beautiful. Yeah, then they discovered oil and hooray for the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Alaska is... Yeah, it's like. Yeah, can you country. imagine Russia having that? Dude, would that, be that would like? be tricky. They'd have a military advantage on us for sure. Be like, well, we'll just. Oh gosh. <laughs> can you imagine the Cold War? If oh Russia no. Well, thank you, William H. Seward. Yeah. Yeah, You're they great call uncle. me uh, Thanks, Will. the Princess of Alaska. Right really? You can, uh, but you've never you been, come. so. No, I've never been. You should change your Instagram name to Alaska Princess. Princess okay. Alaska. Well, if you don't <laughs> see me Perry. as uh, yeah. Wanderlust for Wine, I'll be the Alaskan Princess. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, I'll, I'll do mine real quick. So, 2018 was an incredible year. Probably my. F- oh, my name is Austin Marvel. Austin James Marvel. Mr. Marvel. Mr. Marvel. Uh, 2018 was a great year. It was probably one of my favorites, similar to uh, what all these guys touched on. And just, you know, the way that I conquered my own battles in my mind, the way that I really kind of grew into some of the adulthood things that 
you know, there's a lot of transitions you have to go through, but there were some that I made it a point to really accomplish. And um, I'm just so thankful that I was able to do that and have the love of my life, Ashley, my best friend right there by my side. We accomplished so much together. Um, we traveled a lot. We got to see a lot of people, smiles on people's faces. And um, there was just so many memories that were established in 2018 that uh, I don't think we'll ever forget. Um, we did a lot of preparing for our baby, our little dude. Leonidas. That's for Leonidas. <laughs> for a little guy that's um, coming. And that was such a learning process for those of you who are parents that are listening you kind of know that like the the six seven months leading up to the actual birth of a child you you get to prepare your life and kind of set it up in a way that you most likely have never like taken that kind of preparation for before um it's something that's entirely different than anything i've experienced but it's taught me so much uh, 2019 going forward I definitely want to step up my game in adulthood and I mean I'm, I'm gonna have another human life depending on me so there's some things that I've I've got that I gotta check off but what you'll see from the outside is I'll be taking my uh, my photo and video game a lot more seriously mm-hmm. I just had an awesome shoot with Chick-fil-a um, for those of you who don't know it's like uh, chicken fast food but it's great it's Mm -hmm. a great great little fast food place and the company that brought me on through for that they they want to continue to have me working for them for stuff Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot more corporate and commercial stuff but balancing it out with like hunting and outdoor adventure and wildlife photography so that I keep the passion so you guys will see a good mix if you follow me or my dog, I am Lil Smokey, on Instagram. <laughs> You'll definitely see some good content. I've got some incredible weddings coming up this year. I'm so very excited for uh, the brides that I'm shooting this summer. You know who you are. Um, I love you all. And I cannot wait for your wedding. It's going to be fun. So that's about that. Um, do you guys want to add anything else before we kind of wrap this up? Just follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. That's my life motto. Yeah. yeah. I'll throw that one out there. Yeah, well, and we appreciate you guys listening to this episode of the Marvel Monologues. Wanted to personally thank you if you've made it this far for listening. Uh, you're probably over, what, two and a half hours or so with an intro, maybe two hours, 40 minutes. I'm not really sure. I'll cut it down and put it together. But uh, if you've got any special requests on topics you'd like us to cover, uh, particular guests you'd want to come on to the show, or maybe locations. You want to send me down to Cuba to do an episode and maybe meet up with your uncle's friend to do a show. Whatever you want. Just uh, go ahead and message me. You know where to find me. And uh, appreciate you appreciate you subscribing to this podcast and just kind of having a listen, sticking with us throughout this whole time. Um, we enjoyed this conversation and hope you did as well, as much as we did. Um, to close it off.